thousand UFO sightings reported around the world every month. 90% of these sightings can be explained, but 10% cannot. Officially and unofficially, the U.S. military has been investigating UFOs since 1947. Their top secret goal is to find out what's behind these unexplained sightings. The Pentagon classifies them as unusual airborne anomalies, but a better term is X-Files. Join us now as Mac, Wan Wan, and Commander Cobra explore these unsolved cases, UFO incidents that baffle even the U.S. military. This is Mac Maloney's Military X-Files. And now, here's Mac Maloney. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Mac Maloney's Military X-Files show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. What a show we have for you tonight, a special music show uh, that we've been telling you about. And here we are. First, very quickly, let me introduce the uh, extended posse. Tonight, first of all, girls, get ready. I'm not going to go through his whole usual introduction. The very famous Juan Juan is here. We want to keep it a little classy tonight. Hello, JJ. girls. Hello, girls. Hello, Mac. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. It's going to be fun tonight. How's everything over there? Across the, fun. across the puddle. How's everything across how's the across, puddle? Oh, how's yes. things? I didn't hear. Yes. Sorry. Okay. Uh, everything is okay. Hunky dory, you know. Uh, lots of strange British accents where, where I live. It's really? a hodgepodge of. Uh, uh, of different people from that moved out of London and yes. said the heck with this and moved uh, south mm-hmm. apparently. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it's kind of some people I can understand every word they're saying. Some people I can't. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it's really that. Okay. It's really that diverse. They probably feel the same but way about you. <laughs> what do you think? No, they no. say, "Are you American?" Oh. What else could you be, really, when you think about it? But listen, you and mentioned last week. I try not to use the phrase "American is apple pie" because apparently apple pie is not American. <laughs> Well, who knew? Okay. Maybe we should just move on. Okay. So also with us is our... Some immigrants. No, you you had said that you joined a couple social clubs, right? I did. But not social clubs over there, bookie joints? Um, They could be. They have this uh, poker thing going on in one of the social clubs. That is uh, not just local poker, but they're, they're playing poker with people... Uh, the over the internet, there's a big screen, big screen TV. Oh, like really? Yeah. Oh, screen. They, it's almost dangerous. I'm not really uh, plugged into that. So listen, also with us tonight is our favorite good witch up there in Sideways New York. Raven is with her. Raven, how are you? Hi, my friends. Thank you so much for having me. Mm-hmm. How's things? You got, the, you got a hat on? Yeah, man. Of okay. course. Three weeks in a row. Okay. Uh, all right, maybe we'll come back to the hat later. Well, here you are again with five drunk white guys, so get ready. <laughs> Typical Tuesday night. Right, exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, also joining us is our good friend, uh, Mike Poulin, a.k.a. No Belly Button Man. MP, how you doing? Good, good. Yep. Belly Button's still going. <laughs> yeah, really, still gone, still looking for it. Okay. All right. Never to come back. You dress properly, though. That's good. You dress like you're... Yeah, I went for the... Went for the burglar look. Yeah, the burglar look, yeah. Okay. Not quite yeah, the yeah. not quite the stick up man look, but the burglar look. You're right. Oh, yeah. I can go stick up. No, oh, you can do stick up? <laughs> That's good. All right. Yeah. Uh anyway, also with us, uh, first of all in the studio with us is a uh, music journalist Robert Ferraro. Robert, how are you doing? Oh fantastic. I uh 
I appreciate you having me out here, Mac, and everybody. Oh, look, clap, applause. We will clap, and we will actually put in a little. I haven't had applause in so long. We'll it up in post. (laughs) They clapped. (laughs) They clapped. Thanks. Very, uh, very happy to be Mm -hmm. here. Now, how long have you been a uh, music journalist? Uh, Officially had my say for about six or seven years. Really? Yeah. 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 Try try to get a lot done in that. And all the... uh, all the, all the uh, people you've talked to, they're all really level-headed, good with their money. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so on. Well, actually, yeah. good with their money, you can't gauge, because at this point, they're all legacy artists, and they have so much of it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I hear it. Yeah. Right. So Interesting. You, yeah. Um, also joining us is a good friend out there in California, um, original bass player for Company Crows, my pally, Matt Malley. Let's give him. <laughs> he looks... Uh, he has his beard back, which is good. I know that he likes... He likes having the beard, but now you're looking like um, like a Mormon, uh, you know, elder or something. Is that the look you're going for? <laughs> I've been told George Lucas or Stephen King. But oh, very, oh, very much the George Lucas. George Lucas, yeah. yes. Yeah, wow. <laughs> okay, yeah, you didn't get the hair. You got the George Lucas hair there. Wow, okay. How's things with you out there in uh, the West Coast? Yeah, doing good. Doing good. You know, uh, got off of a nine-month tour with a, a Queen tribute band mm-hmm. from uh, – decompressing and it's great to be home we uh, wow. went to go see them and we saw them twice they're fantastic they're fantastic it's unbelievable i know it's weird uh that it, 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 it that a tribute band could be this good but they're so good that they have their own kind of groupies follow them around <laughs> the world and, and and one of them you know has a tattoo of the band's name you know who puts a tribute band tattoo on it? but they're that yeah. good they're I mean, that's they, great Incredible performance, incredible performance. And what's it called? A night with Queen? Is it's kind of a yeah, one night of Queen. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They just won an award. They're apparently the highest grossing tribute act in France. So France just wow. Where's, where's nice. my? Yeah, they play arenas. They're nine thousand. <laughs> wow. That, that award is well deserved because that show was incredible. Thanks, Raven. It was great to see you there, by the way. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it was. We should have taken a picture. <laughs> yeah, I know. Everything felt so fast. I had other friends, and you know, the things are happening. I'm in a, a hurricane, but I wish I would have had a little more time. To, oh yeah, no, totally the, fine. The, <laughs> Next time. Next time. The, yeah. Matt, you look so comfortable with that uh, Night of Queen outfit. The, oh, thanks. Guy, yeah, you really, you had the groove. You looked really comfortable, like you've been there for years, and it's just made it happen and uh it was fun to meet you at the bus after the show the guy who was doing the freddie mercury stuff was incredible he must have been studying freddie mercury he's unbelievable my time. time yeah he's got all the moves down and what he's got though is the same sort of uh, windpipe or something you know gary he, he's he just has that tone hmm. freddie's tone hmm. and he can sing that music which is not easy music five nights a week i've really? never seen a singer do that but yeah, he's also amazing. it's all about him you know and, and but the band is very tight yes, and right. very serious but we're also very casual we don't dress up like queen members so right, it's a right. you're not trying to duplicate them right yeah <laughs> right. yeah it's, it's a dedicated freddie mercury is what it is. but yeah he's he's, right. he's that guy is really a performer and with a capital p i mean he he never stops the entire show he never stops moving he must have yeah. studied freddie mercury for years and years he has every one of his movements down but he's like you say, it's casual about it, and he's very, very much with the fans. Very, very, you know, touchy feely with the fans. They all know him. It's it's a it's a really weird situation in a way. And in Hampton Beach, we saw in Hampton was crazy, crazy. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. The Hampton Beach is, is a notoriously raucous, uh, riotous yes. uh, venue, and they always, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, yes. yeah, fun know. though. A lot of fun. A lot of lot of 
odd stuff. But yeah, yeah, yeah. To have a tribute band with groupies following you around the world, <laughs> you get to be doing something right. So how long were you out with them for about a year or so, Matt? Sorry? How long were you out with them for? About a year? Uh, I, I was with them for about nine months. I joined in early March last year because the, their bass player couldn't come to the States. And so they needed an emergency bass player, and we had a mutual friend that contacted. Uh, and he, he said, yeah, I, he got me in touch with the guitarist. And three days later, I had I had to learn uh, – I had three days to learn two hours of Queen songs. Damn. And that's not easy. So I came about 70% mm-hmm. prepared. Mm-hmm. And after a couple of weeks, I had the show down. But uh, it's incredible music, you know. I just jumped mm-hmm. on a tour bus, and after 18 years of being in a touring band, I jumped back on a tour bus. It was it was awesome. Yeah, really, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they're all great guys. They're really sweethearts. They're all – they're all uh, from Glasgow, Scotland, and also Northern England, mm-hmm. and they're real sweethearts. Yeah, know, there's always a there's a kettle of tea brewing on the bus all day, and uh, it's, is that what that was? Great. Yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, uh, you know, they were, it was a very enjoyable just night. You know, thank you for both nights that we went to go see you. Um, you know, really learned something and learned that. Uh, you know, I think Freddie Mercury would be one of these guys that people will remember like 500 years from now, and you know, because he was such a. Yeah. You know, personality, such a celebrity. So no, anyway. And since so, I joined um, the band, I started studying the Queen and watching YouTubes. And there's one from Toronto in 81. Yes, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Just watch that whole concert. Yep. My God. Yep, yep. They were an incredible yeah. band. And they were, I mean, I, I know the concert you're talking about. It's an amazing, for 1981, the sound and everything is really good. But yeah. it, there's a documentary on them, too. It's like three hours long. And they're, ah. they're, um, their career path was like a roller coaster. Okay, they'd have a hit, they'd spend all the freaking money, spend all you know, need money, need money, and then all of a sudden, you know, bum 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 bum, them billionaires again. And it's a great documentary, you know. And but their music, I think, will be lasting. You know, I think there's a, there's a number of bands that you'll hear about them artists in two or three hundred years. I think they won on the Beatles. Elton John, I think, will be remembered kind of. Yeah. But anyway, so listen. Go ahead. One one. Mac, if I recall, uh, if you were a WBCN listener, even back in the early days, I think Max Ann introduced Queen to the Boston organ or, or audiences on a regular basis. Okay. Okay, go ahead. I think so. I think okay. so. I don't know. You're not as old as I am. Yeah. Yeah, well they yeah, they started Queen they they were a band too that you know, they, they started I think kind of like a college band. Played clubs. Next thing they know, they're in stadiums. They missed that yeah. middle ground, you mm-hmm. know, because they were instantly ahead, you know. But anyway, what do you think of Queen? Now you got to be honest with us tonight, Robert. You're a music journalist. <laughs> oh no, uh, I love Queen. I think the thing that I get out of talking to a, a lot of musicians is they usually bring up Queen early and often. Interesting. And yeah. ironically, though, a lot of times it's with the drums. Like Taylor Hawkins, I know, was a huge fan of. Uh, mm-hmm. But on the other hand, uh, it's really Brian May. I like a lot of guitarists mm-hmm. just adore Brian May, and he's mm-hmm. in most uh, yeah. guitarists' top five. Yeah, he's one of those guys. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, yeah British, uh, you know, guitarist. Yeah, very inventive. And and if you watch this Canadian concert in in uh, 1981, and you just kind of see, wow, these guys are they're multi talented. Mm-hmm. They're tight as hell. They know how to interact with an audience. It was like, well, I thought they're a little bit more than just you know your kind of English pop band. They were good. You know, they were good. They were surprisingly good, like we were talking about, you know, out yeah. there. You know, sometimes you run into bands, you see them live, and you go, wow, those guys are really good. So, so Matt, now listen, when you were in Counting Crows, didn't you kind of dislike guys like uh, John, the uh, 
music journalist. I mean, um, are, were they mostly good to you, to you guys, you know, critically? I know you were Dowling's and Rolling Stone for a while, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, but you know what? Counting Crows was a very polarizing band. Uh, they have hardcore fans that are gonna, they're going to have for life, and there are people who hate them, who loathe Counting Crows. You know the, and I see why. But I, but what? I, I mean, Adam, I'm a fan of old Adam. I'm a fan of him as a songwriter and a singer, and I'm proud of that first record. Mm -hmm. uh, and even the second one is, is good. Um, uh, but I, I know I know what it is. You know, he, he's notoriously difficult and he's been uh, rude to, to journalists from the beginning. I think Rolling Stone kind of dropped us. Adam. He, uh, yeah. What's his name? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Adam Duritz. Yep. And he he would just insult people during interviews because he's he's Why? just sort of I think he's admitted he's had mental problems or something. Yeah. yeah some, some kind of uh, some kind of uh, thing where you don't recognize people's faces more than. <laughs> I'm looking <laughs> yeah, at you like you would like you, you would know. I, like saying don't say that type of thing. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. It's it's called I've, I've looked it up. It's called disassociative disorder. Oh yeah, and really. It's called sure uh, rock star being an asshole too. That's also <laughs> yeah. that's a generic. You thing. know what's so funny? I saw something on Instagram yesterday that said. Adam Duritz was the Pete Davidson of the 90s because of all the beautiful women yeah. that he dated. Is that a compliment? And, and I was like scrolling through the pictures and I'm like, I forgot he dated most of these women. And they're mm -hmm. all like tens, you right. know? Is that what they, yeah, like, that's what he did. Yeah. It was so funny. And I'm like, it's so true. All right. Yep. So, yeah. so uh, did that, how did that go over in the band? I mean, you got the lead singer is always like the guy, but now he's hitting everything in Hollywood. Does that make you guys feel a little less validated or something? No, no honestly, Mac, I. I mean, growing up on Led Zeppelin and Floyd and the Stones and the Beatles, I, I was in for music. I, I wanted to just play good music and have a hit band. Mm -hmm. And when and when the singer starts dating actresses, I was like, well, Robert Plant never publicly bragged about that, or, or right. you know, it's not it's not some accomplishment. It's you how you do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it, it, you can do it without you know being on uh, Inside Edition every night or DMZ. <laughs> I mean, you can. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I mean, God bless them. It added publicity to us, I guess, and we sold more records, yeah. you know. But, Chris, uh, listen, not to be the devil's advocate here, but, okay, <laughs> you know, yeah. but isn't that kind of the essence of the rock star life in a way to, you know, become a famous rock star and then close your ears, Raven, and then just, you know, <laughs> hit everything that you can. I mean... I think it comes with yeah. the lead singer. Matt would know more than me. I don't know why I just cut him off, and I apologize. No, no, like the lead singer syndrome. I think it comes with the lead singer syndrome. It's mm -hmm. hard to get out there up front a lot of times without an instrument and just say, "Look at me," mm -hmm. and then uh, be central and the whole nine yards. You're doing, you're opening yourself up, and not have that confidence off stage as well when you meet beautiful women and things like that. I think it goes part and parcel. Right. Well, let me throw yeah. this. <laughs> let me throw this to uh, Mike Poulin, no belly button man. Now, in, in your long music career, you've had a number yeah. of groupies, right? I mean, I missed some of that. Okay, it's kind of cutting in and out. Sorry. Some of the seventies. Yeah. <laughs> Say what? I mean, you've been. How long have you been a musician? Years. You you've had groupies. You've had people following your Since band. Sixty-eight. Yeah, yeah, a few. A right. Few. Yeah. Yep. Not a lot. I was a drummer then. Okay. Well. Okay. <laughs> Everyone has their cross to bear. That's cool. Listen. Case closed. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, we got ten musician jokes coming up uh, later on. So. Oh uh, yeah, the top the top ten. Well, this is interesting. I know about Mark was he was uh, he won like the first MTV band. What was it? Jam in the bands. What was it? What did you Battle, win? What was it called? 
Battle of the Bands. That Battle of the Bands. But Rock and Roll Rumble. Right, that's, that's it. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The band was. Um, band. Limbo Race. Limbo Race. Yeah, yeah. Big in Boston yeah. there for a while. And then so we what, got some. <laughs> got some pretty good shows out of that too. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and, we did. Danceteria. Remember that place mm-hmm. in New York City? Yep. Yeah. You Living met- room in uh, Rhode Island. And then Philadelphia. And that was a little tour, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yep. things got better after that. You're on MTV. But what did you guys break up, though? Creative differences? or? Uh... Um, I don't know. They brought a keyboard into it. Oh. Why would they do that? Yeah, that's <laughs> that's <laughs> <laughs> they had to kind of squeeze keyboard parts into the Oh, really? Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. I understand. Well, huh. So um, mm-hmm. uh, before we go to break, though, you have to tell that story. Tell the R.E.M. story real quick. Now, this guy, <laughs> okay. he saved R.E.M.'s career. <laughs> go ahead. As quick as I can. All right. Well, that Limbo Race Band opened for R.E.M. at Streets uh, Club on Carmel back in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Anyway, and uh, it was my birthday, so we were in the, in the dressing room or whatever. We did our set. Then R.E.M. came on. And it was my birthday. We were really overdue and stuff, you know. Yes. And um, I went out to the side of the se- st- stage to see them. And <laughs> the guitar player, can't remember his name, Ariam. Peter Buck. Peter anyway, Buck. He, was, he had a mic in front of his amp, and he was running back, and he kicked it. So it was on the floor instead of in his amp. And he looks to me, and he said, get that, will you? And I'm like, <laughs> I was afraid I might not make leave, that. He leaps out <laughs> so onto stage. Yes. Uh, you know, I went up the step, pulled the, put the thing back up, and fell. Not fell. No, I went back to the floor and <laughs> did one of these. I'm sure glad that right, didn't happen. <laughs> wow. Where's your flyover? So you saved them that night, in other words. So how, what, yeah. what, were, they, were they at all popular at that point? I think the college radio. You know, yeah. they're driving around on a van. You know, yeah. just uh, scraping by, I suppose. What do you think of those guys? I'm asking. It runs. Uh, it runs in eras. Ironically, like after rejecting them for what they were great at, right? I started embracing them for what they weren't great at. Done, yeah. You mm-hmm. know, like late in the '90s, they started to play more melodic music. Yeah. Things like that. I said, "Oh, that's pretty good. Oh, I like that." And then I started to work backwards. Yeah. And now I like most of it. Yeah, yeah but don't you think they were interesting in that? Um, well, they were all over MTV. This they yeah. they were interviewed more than any other band for sure, but. You know, they did do interesting things like, um, what's that song? Uh, I mean, that album, um, po- not Power to the People, but... Uh, Automatic for the Automatic, People. Right, yeah. yeah. They all played different instruments or something. Yeah. John Paul Jones or Led Zeppelin produced a lot of it. There's a lot of interesting songs on that, but you're right. is isn't what they started doing. They're an interesting band because the, the gravy train was going by and they weren't afraid to tell the record company, guess what? Yeah. We're going to play an acoustic album now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot of people wouldn't do that. They'd yeah. be afraid to overturn the uh, apple cart. Yeah, yeah. And so then they just broke up. They don't no longer exist, right? No more. Yep. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. Okay. R.E.M. I'll tell you what. Why don't we take a commercial break now real quick, and we'll be right back after this. Uh, the whole gang is here. Uh, Raven is here. Matt Malley, my pal. Matt Malley is here. Juan Juan is here. Uh, no belly button man. Mike <laughs> Poulin is here. And also uh, Robert Ferraro. Robert Ferraro, uh, music journalist, is here. And... Um, So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. The tooth. You want the tooth. You can't handle the tooth.
Welcome back, everyone, to Mac Money's North Track. So I'll show you here in the Distant Thunder Radio Network. That's going to have to do. This is Mac Money. I want to show we have for you tonight. This is our special music show. Let me introduce everyone who is here. Girls, the very famous one one is here. Hello, girls. Hello, everybody. Also, our, um, good, uh, our good friend, our, our favorite good witch up there in Sideways, New York. Raven is with us, Raven. Hi, my friends. Thank you for having me. Is that a new hat or is that a, a, new, uh, a vintage hat? Or? Oh, no. This, I've had this one for a minute. This is, this is old school. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Oh, shoot. Uh, also uh, with us is uh, AKA No Belly Button Man, Mike Pond, local musician, New England musician. <laughs> how you doing, Oh, Mike? how are you? Okay. All right. <laughs> Stick him up. Yeah, that's his middle name. Stick him up. So, <laughs> how many years have you oh. been a musician? Oh, since 68. Okay. Mark is uh, very interesting because Thank he's you. also he's a great guitar player but also a drummer. You don't really see that mm. very often, right? Um, mm, not lately. Anyway, so uh, Mark is with us. Uh, also with us is our good friend, uh, my, my good pally, Matt Malley, out there in uh, California, ex-basis for Compton Crows. How you doing, Matt? Good. Good to be here. Okay. What have you been doing lately? You're, doing, you're into Indian music, I see. Every, I mean, I know. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a lifetime student of Indian slide guitar, so I'm just chipping away at it. I figure when I'm in my 90s, I might be able to give concerts. We'll see. Really? Yeah. Okay. We'll look forward to that. All right. Also in the studio with us is music journalist Robert Ferraro. Robert, how are you doing? Hello, sir. Okay. And uh, how long have you been a music journalist? I've already asked you That's that. Right. Uh, like six or seven years or how so, many, um, officially. How many celebrities have you, how many stars have you interviewed? Um, over 50. Really? I would yeah. Say, yeah. Mm-hmm. Somewhere like over 50. Okay. Of them all, of those 50, how many are? They already asked this question. How many are dicks? Would you say half? half? I, far less than, than than half, believe it or not. Far really? less. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Now, but you got to remember when they meet me, they want to sell something. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Yeah. Right. So that's, that, that's part of it. Okay. Also with us joining us is uh, keyboard player for Kansas, Tom Brislin. Let's give him a round of applause because. We'll sweeten it up in post if we have to. Tom, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me okay. on. Thanks. Um, we were talking earlier about it. We saw uh, Matt Malley's band, uh, tribute band, um, a Queen tribute band, twice this year. They were really great. I got to say, the other third, the other concert I saw this year that was really great was Kansas. I was really surprised. I mean, I mean, you know, I'm kind of a fan. I know the songs, but to see them live, you guys were great. You guys are really, really great. I mean, I don't know what else I can say. Well, thank you. I'm glad you could make it. How many um, dates do you do a year, would you say? Uh, well, I, we aim for between 80 and 90. Really? Yeah, huh. Okay. Uh, the That's last few busy. years have been a little, you know, uh, rough coming back from everything, but we're getting back there. Right, right. What, what impressed me a lot was, um, first, the crowd was huge, and but your sound system, I don't know whether we can call it the sound system, but you could hear every, you could hear everything, you know what I mean? Usually you can't. You could hear everything. Everything was balanced. And is that the sound system or is that just the band is just like so tight? Well, we actually use a lot of the sound equipment from the venues that we play at. So uh, our our mixing engineer, uh, is, his name is Chad Singer, and he does a great job. And yeah, it's not like some, some rock shows you go to and it's like we call it concerto for bass drum with special guest everything else. Hang on. What's that drummer? <laughs> Okay. We'll actually have a nice balance and um, nice listening environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was really good. I mean, um, so uh, this is weird, but do you rehearse at all? Do you practice? You, you know? Well, when I first joined the band, we had a few rehearsals. 
but as far as the full band with our equipment on stage that was it mm. we do have the luxury of uh, practicing rehearsing backstage before each show we just have a little room set up with some practice gear and we run through the song so mm. that, that's that's a nice luxury that i don't usually have mm -hmm. but there's some songs that you brought out other percussionists and stuff and just you know made it really kind of cool you know well thank you and 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 also when you um you know, when when uh, and, and whoever ran the show, who you, you're the, kind of your master of ceremonies there, the, was it the bass player? Yeah, Billy Greer. He really kind of runs the show along, but you know, he knows uh, when you play "Dust in the Wind," it's going to be, you know, people crying, and it, it was just very emotional. You know, I mean, just really, really good, just a really good show, Tom. Really good. Thank you. So, well, Jack, where did you see the? At the Topsfield Fair, if you can believe it, the Topsfield Fair. And, really outdoors. Yeah, nice. yeah, and we got there. You know, kind of on time, thinking, and Tom was nice enough to give us passes, and we couldn't get in. We had to flash the pass to get in and, and stand for the concert. So many people were there. Super duper wow. concert, really, really nice. So anyway, it wouldn't be the show unless we had top ten um, musician jokes. Mm. I think tonight, Robert, I think you're going to be the brunt of them, because these two guys have already heard them. Okay, most Fair of enough. Okay, well, here we go. All I'm right. an easy laugh anyway. All right, there we go. Raven, do you have the top ten? I do. This is... Top 10 Jokes About Musicians, Winter 2023 Edition. Okay, Top 10 Ooh. Jokes About Musicians, Winter 2023 Edition. Okay, here we go, start the music. Right. Number 10, why should all rock musicians be arrested as perverts? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, the drummer sits in the back beating it. The guitarist is always fingering minors. The bass player can't stop slapping it. And they all like the pianist. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Please, Raven, number nine, please. Top 10 musician jokes winter 2023 edition. Number nine, what did the rock star say to the jazz musician? What did the rock star say to the jazz musician? Go ahead. To the airport, please. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Oh, that's so smart. Wow. That was low. A little cruel. Get a little cruel there. Okay, number eight, please, Raven. Uh, number eight, why don't bass players tell blonde jokes? Why don't bass players tell blonde jokes? <laughs> because Please. they don't understand them. They don't understand them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I did not write these. Wow. <laughs> please, next one. Uh, please, please. Number seven, yeah. Uh, how do you make a million dollars playing jazz? How do you make a million dollars playing jazz? Robert. No clue. Oh, Raven. I... Oh, go ahead, Tom, go ahead. Start. I got it. Go ahead. You start with three million. Yeah, that's right. You start with three million. <laughs> Correct. Actually, yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> okay, good. Um, I'm trying to get a prize for that. Kind of delayed there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's playing it, believe, believe it or not. Okay. <laughs> He's asleep on Billy. Right, please go ahead, Raven. Nice. This is Top 10 Musician Jokes 2023 Winter Edition. Oh, my God. They just went away. <laughs> oh, Never that's... mind. I have them. Okay, good. False alarm. Go. Number six. The world's greatest blues musician and the world's greatest jazz musician have dinner together. Who pays for the meal? The world's greatest blues musician and the world's greatest jazz musician have dinner. Who pays the bill? Neither. I don't know who does, though. Go ahead, Raven. You're on to it. No one. They don't charge at the soup kitchen. Oh, <laughs> that's really cruel. But also says the state of music. Please, next. The turning on us. 
All right, number five. Why did the guitarist leave drumsticks on his dashboard? <laughs> oh, I know this one. <laughs> Why did the guitarist leave drumsticks on his dashboard? Please, Raven. So he could park in the handicap zone. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, man. We, we better move on, please, Rick. Number four. What happens when you play the blues backwards? What happens when you play the blues backwards? Beats me. Your wife comes back, your dog returns, and you get out of prison. Wow, okay. Is this on? Okay, next, please. Let's uh, wrap this up. Raven, quick. Number three. Uh... What's the difference between a clarinetist soloing and a cat in heat? Okay, now we have a note on this one. We have no idea what this means. We're hoping the musicians might know. What's the difference between a clarinetist soloing and a cat in heat? Please, Raven. Nothing if the cat is healthy. <laughs> Even the drummer doesn't want to hit that one. Okay. Does anyone know what that means? No, no one. Okay, we'll move on then. Nobody does. No one does. Okay. Not even the joke teller? Go ahead. Number two. No, I don't have Number no two. Uh, what's the definition of an optimist? What's the de <laughs> I know this one too. What's the definition of an optimist? Go, please. A folk singer with a mortgage. <laughs> I know some really good folk singers. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> and? And the number one musician joke of winter 2023. How can you make a banjo player's car go faster? How can you make a banjo player's car go faster? <laughs> the question's funny. <laughs> the question makes me laugh. Go ahead. Please. Take the domino sign off the roof. Oh, <laughs> man. Cruel. Okay. All right. Well, that was cruel. Okay, Brutal. There we go. So why don't we do this? Why don't we calm down and take a, uh, what do you think of that, uh, Robert? Uh, what do you think of the top 10? Oh, it was wonderful. I can't wait till the spring. Oh, really? The spring edition? Yeah, okay, wow, I had to think edition. about that for a second. Okay. Yeah, why, don't we, uh, why don't we take a uh, quick break now, calm down, <laughs> regroup, and we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Military Exile Show. Right. <laughs> Hopefully you didn't hear that. Here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network, we'll be right back after this. It's early medieval Europe. Norse marauders are pouring down from the north. Step riders threaten from the east, and Moorish raiders are surging up from the south. Now, as the Vikings plan an invasion of Ireland, the country's aging king must somehow protect his nation. But who is up to the task? Nordic sagas tell us an obscure and unlikely hero arises to save his people. Wolf of Clontarf leaps into history as a nightmare to the Norse and avenger for the Celts. It's Vikings meets Braveheart as this legendary Irish warrior, some medieval special operations forces, and a young woman spy help the Irish king defeat the Viking invaders. It's a tale spanning 15 years and leading up to the most decisive battle of the Middle Ages. That's Wolf of Clontarf, a new novel from Thomas J. Howley, now on Amazon. Maloney's Miltrex, our show here in the Distant London Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. While with this uh, music show tonight, let me quickly introduce you 
to the attendees. Girls, uh, Famous One One is here. Hello, Mac. Hello, girls. Welcome back to the show. Also, our favorite good witch up there in Sideways New York, Raven, is here, Raven. Hi, my friends. Thanks for having me. This little different rave, right, than our usual paranormal look at the UFO stuff? It is, but I like the music shows because they're very loosey-goosey, so it's fun. <laughs> to to say back. the least, yes. Okay. <laughs> also with us is uh, No Belly Button Man, a.k.a. Mike Poulin, famous New England musician. Mike, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Okay. You're a drummer. And pop two. You're, yeah. you're a drummer and a guitarist. How do you explain that? Uh, drum Irish. Okay, there you go. Okay. Somewhere awesome. in there, yeah. Also with us is uh, Robert Ferraro. That's fine. I'm happy he's to be here no, no matter what you call me. This is radio. We can mm -hmm. edit it out <laughs> if you want. Robert Ferraro, music journalist, mm. joining us in the studio with us tonight. Mm. Okay. You've been doing it for six years, but did you do it off and on before then? Or? Yeah, I did. I would uh, find different reasons to kind of try to get involved in that way. And, and it was that that helped me kind of launch the rest of it. I said, look, I could at least do this. Right, yes. You know, okay. and, uh, and that's how it got going. And, and name some of the places we've seen your stuff. Uh, well, it depends on where it's shared. My stuff is kind of self-contained. It's on okay. of personalinterest.com. Uh, okay, yeah, go ahead. And thegivingarts.com. Uh, and both really? of those places uh, contain everything I've done. Oh, wow, that's cool, huh? Yeah, yeah. Wow, all right. It, and can I just ask you, who's your worst? What's the worst experience you've ever had? I don't think I've had any terrible experiences, but I would say the toughest would be Jane Seymour. Jane uh, Seymour? She, she was tough. Really? Jane <laughs> Seymour? <laughs> she lives in a castle. Who? So she lives in just a start castle. there and move backwards. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Also, you interviewed Celine Dion, didn't you? Uh, no, Celine Dion was a member of a place where I worked for several years, so we've had uh, conversations, and I've alluded mm -hmm. to them like in oh, writing and stuff. Okay. Yeah, she's not so. She's not. Uh, That's cool. She seems to have gotten more that way, and I can't blame her because she lost her husband, etc. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. she was, she was, she was good in the nineties when I saw her. Out there on the West Coast uh, is a good pally, Matt Malley, ex bass player for the County Crows. Matt, how you doing? Good, good, good to be here. Does ex-bass player, how's that sound? Does that sound okay with you? Or how would you like to be? <laughs> I can live with that. Is there anything? Okay. Okay. Cool. As a ring mm -hmm. Also, uh, Tom Brislin, keyboard player for Kansas, is joining us out there in New Jersey. Tom, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Now, well, Tom, good to see you. I know how I know Matt because we um, uh, worked together when, um, at Voice Print Records for a while. Uh, but how do I know you, Tom? Do you, Can you remember back that far? I believe you contacted me maybe about 21 years ago uh, when I was with Yes. Yes, yep. And I think you might have been doing publicity with Patrick Morat. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. We connected on that, right, yeah, yeah. yep. So, hmm. so how long were you with Yes for? That one year, 2001. Okay. okay. For the Symphonic Tour. Okay. Did they drive you nuts? Don't tell us now. So much. So many no, years ago. No, they, they treated me great. Really, yeah? I mean, it was uh, it was an odd thing to be asked to join a band with, with a one-year term. It was mm -hmm. all predetermined that we're, we're doing this year, and then Rick Wakeman's coming back next year. Yeah, wow. We're touring with an orchestra, and this was a band that I had the posters on the wall when I was a kid. Sure. So, of course, I jumped at the chance to do it, and um, it was a terrific tour and uh, terrific memories. And, and how do you learn? I mean, we've asked you this before, but, I mean, how do you learn all that stuff, or how do they – you know, they didn't. Did they audition you? Did you have to go and play all that Rick Wakeman stuff for them? I had to prepare a recording of me playing it mm -hmm. first. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, they sent me a live uh, CD of, of them in their, their previous tour playing two songs. So it's audition is two songs. However, it's yes. So the two songs are each 20 minutes <laughs> yes, long. Yes, sure. Right. Yeah. Those are the short ones. It's yep. close to the edge and the gates of delirium. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. Cool. So right. What I was to do was to make a recording with their live 
band version on the left speaker and everything that I did on the right speaker. Really? So they could, they could solo it out and just hear me if they wanted to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so that's what I did. I just I grabbed every keyboard I had yep. <laughs> and set it all up around me and and got to work. And it was all by ear because there's there's no official uh, keyboard scores or anything like that. It's just here's the recording. Figure it out. Really? And yeah. it's been like that. For pretty, oh, that's crazy. Yeah, it's been it's Amazing. been like that for pretty much every uh, rock band that I've I've toured with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If wow. you, you play it and then you as you you play your parts, right? You know your parts and you fill in, right? Basically. Got to, got to recreate it to the best of my ability. Mm-hmm. See, when you guys, when I saw you guys playing in Kansas, I loved the, also the idea that everyone just seemed to be playing together. Everyone was into it, the same idea. Maybe I just saw you on the best night of the tour or something, but you guys are really good. Really impressed us a lot. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a lot of fun, and, and it's, a, it's a good group of, of musicians, mm-hmm. and, and we vibe together pretty well. Now, I know that um, we're all kind of interested, uh, uh, you know, we're all kind of rock-centric, uh, but... Jazz is something that, to me, has always been kind of like a mystery, okay? And when I first started my radio career, if you can call it this, I was on a college day shop in um, Saratoga, yeah, Skidmore College. And I did a jazz show. They only had one open, and they said, I want to do this jazz show. I know nothing about it. I know nothing about it. And um, and I still don't really – I try to listen. I try to understand, but I don't get it because if jazz is all improvised, how do you do an album? You know what I mean? Mm. You just turn the microphones on and they play. <laughs> I mean, is it, so is it always a live? You know what I mean. So mm-hmm. I'm going to throw it to Tom, and then I'm going to ask Matt. But Tom, what, what, what? Please, just this is uh, jazz for dummies, please. Well, there are many subgenres and eras in jazz history. So there, there was a movement that did kind of what you described, where it was completely improvised from the ground up. Mm-hmm. But that evolved out of a tradition where there were improvised sections and each musician got to play their part and do their solos and improvise in a structure, in a framework. Usually the the standard great American songbook of the day, these were like the hit songs yep. in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. And they, they uh, as the groups, you know, they, I mean, geez, there's so much to, to say from, I mean, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the 20th century, it was the the entertainment of the time and you you start, you have Louis Armstrong who was I guess one of the first great recorded improvisers on trumpet and vocals and then the big bands came and there was like sort of the offshoot where there's some bands that were all playing written stuff mm-hmm. like Harry James and and the like the the dance bands essentially and then you had Duke Ellington Count Basie and the, the great big band leaders of the swing era where there were uh, improvisers in that framework mm-hmm. And you had the small groups that that started to become more uh, popular in the 40s and 50s, which ended up becoming known as a bebop era. Right, sure. Right, and that was really uh, improvisation centric, where they would even rewrite the melodies to the tunes they were playing. They were hard. To, that, that, that's hard to listen to, though. You know what I mean? Bebop stuff is kind of yeah. hard to listen. to. Jazz, regular jazz is yeah, as good as some good band, but. I don't know bebop does. I don't know. It's too way out for me. Am I just too square, man? <laughs> just um, maybe. You just don't dig it, man. Okay. Uh, well, I think it's, you, it, it, it made more sense to me when I started seeing it live. Oh, really? Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Just to see what it's the more guys about, can like, do. The experience yeah. of it. Yeah, and you can sort of see the the transfer of the energy where each each musician is playing off the other, and um, each musician has their time to shine, and there's a communication going on, and um, it, I, I, I really loved it. So I think as that non-musicians, we can't understand if you're not a musician, if you have never done it, 
It's 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 hard to kind of get that. You hear that a lot. You hear we pull the energy from the audience, and we have a communication between instruments. But you know how it happens. Matt knows how it happens. Mark knows how it happens. But as a non-musician who's never done it, mm. do you know how it happens? <laughs> I don't know how well, it happens. You, no. Mac, I think you have to try and just feel it rather than try and understand it. Understanding yeah. means what? Pick it apart. And yeah, I'd be it. nervous. I'm I think a, you just, Mad when I was reading that uh, Charlie Watts book, yes, he right. would uh, drop these names of all the, the people he listened to, you know, in addition to Charlie Parker, but, you know, I, and I had to go and YouTube some of the stuff or find yes. it somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you say, yeah, okay, I can see why he enjoyed that. He I liked mean, them. It's, it's music you can listen to, you can follow it. it it's, uh, it's some structure, but it, every musician had room to... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, he uh, branch out and then come back in again. Ringo said he he hit less. He's the only guy who who hit it less than I did. You know, he really just kind of like uh, gave people a lot of space. I, when I brought up Ringo, I thought you uh, your story there, Matt. But didn't you tell me once that when you went out on tour, like it, muscle memory kicks in after a while? I'd be so nervous playing in front of fifty thousand people. I'd be. I don't think I could do it. You know, I don't think I'm. Yeah. Well, the, you know, the, the the jazz thing that we're talking about here is it's such a, a free um, realm for a musician that when you think about playing rock songs, it, you're so confined that if you were to improvise during a rock song, it would really stand out and break rules. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you think of jazz. Jazz is one of the, the, of the few true American art forms that started in America, mm -hmm. of all places. And, uh, and it, it's truly legit. I mean, uh, Tom, you must know um, Giant Steps and, and about how Coltrane wrote that to be so difficult to solo over because he's going around the circle of fists as far away as you can get on every chord change, you know. And it drove his band crazy, but but they all stepped up to it, you know. But, but uh, do we, the listener, understand that? Oh. No, no, no. A, a normal listener doesn't. You just let it wash over you. There's a way to listen to music where you don't have to hear it analytically. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's, that's the beauty of it, isn't it? Like for a musician, you can listen to you can listen with either hemisphere of the brain. You can try to figure out the intervals that are happening, or you can just let it listen to it emotionally. And the, a musician, a, a listener who's not a musician, is the emotional listener. You just let it wash over you. Mm -hmm. Put on any Coltrane record and let it wash over you, and, mm. and it'll it'll take you somewhere. Mm. You know? Yeah, he said a normal listener, Matt. Oh, <laughs> did, you, wow. did you hear that? Wow, Raven. No, oh. Mark. We Mark. We need a. I'm salty uh, tonight. <laughs> okay, well, salty. What are you drinking tonight? We didn't even ask you. Tell us, please. I just had tea. Tea. Oh, I'm glad I asked. Okay. Hey, hey, Mark Poland, do you ever listen to jazz? You don't seem like a jazz guy to me. No, I, a song like you know, Mister Saturday Night. Now that's jazz, right? Well, kind of, I don't get around much anymore. I think his drumming in here had Yeah, that kind of thing. That I like. But when you get into the bebop, my head explodes. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, you know what I think it is. If go ahead, I think it's a lot like soccer with the American people. Like there are people who absolutely love it, and they number in the millions. Yes. And then there are so many people who do not love it, and uh, the ones it. that are in the millions say, "Come on over, watch this. It's a great game." And they watch it, and the majority of them say, I just still don't get it. Don't I was uh, doing a piece on Will Calhoun, who's a great drummer for, the, for Living Color. Okay. And um, he was doing, um, he was doing a, a tribute to Elvin Jones, who was like a legendary jazz drummer. And, uh, you know, he invited us down. He got us, like, into the first row, my wife and I. Mm -hmm. And we went in there saying, uh, my wife went in there saying, I really don't like jazz. Yes, I went yes. in there saying, nah, I'm open to everything. Sat in the first row. He played phenomenal. It was dynamic. It was loud. It was great, you mm -hmm. know, and, and I left there saying, wow, 
I would love to do that again. And I asked her and she said, it was a nice night, but I wasn't enjoying myself. Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. Some people I just, just think, don't get it. Yeah, I just think it's one of those divides. Um, my, my wife is a big fan of Elvis Costello, or she mm-hmm. was, right, years ago. And um, she'd seen him a bunch of times, and we went to go see one concert. And I understand he's an artist. I understand a lot of people know him a lot of but I just don't get it, you know? I just, I don't, I don't get it, you know? And I know that everyone doesn't have to get everything, you right. know? But like John Lennon said, don't be a snob about music. Listen to listen to everything, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, so Tom, when you um, going back to your jazz, did you start as a jazz guy? No, I was raised on seventies rock. What a really? surprise! Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, my older sisters and my brother had those albums in the house, and that was my introduction to music. Foreigner, yes, Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. You know the, the the stuff that everybody had in their living room, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and then we had a piano in the house, and and I started banging on that as long as I could remember, and. I was creating songs and I loved looking at album covers and seeing this sort of superhero squad yes. team of people who each had their role. And, and the idea of a band was just awesome to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the funny thing is that the first introduction to jazz that really caught my ear was on these old Popeye cartoons. <laughs> and be well, listening to a radio. Don't, with, don't bring up Popeye here. I later <laughs> learned was called hot jazz, which is okay. like the Dixieland stuff, really <laughs> bouncy. And I, I was hip to that. I, I thought it was really cool. And I went into high school and they had a jazz band. Mm-hmm. And that's where I learned all about the big band era and also funk and fusion, you know, I was because I was really into synthesizers. So to know that it had developed to a point where there was a type of jazz, it was electric. Yep. I dug that, you know, and <laughs> yeah, was yeah. really into fusion and, and learning how to solo and improvise. And I ended up, but I was also, because I was, I was taking piano lessons, but also writing songs and and learning things by ear on the side, like at the same time. Mm-hmm. I was always in these multiple tracks. So yeah, yeah. when I was finally at university, I was doing classical piano because in high school I did piano competitions and stuff. I was hmm. I was not a classical prodigy, but I was throwing myself in that and I, I played a few pieces. And then I was also, so in college, and then was studying jazz. So I was kind of doing them both mm. and forming my own rock bands and and. Yeah, I came from a real blue collar background. It was always like, you will never work as a musician. It was yes. always like kind of pounded into us. Like it's impossible to make a living. So I had this real like hard hat and lunch pail approach to music. It was like the phone rang. It was like the bat phone. You know, here's a gig. Play play at a restaurant. Yeah, we're there. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. any any type of music, anything. And I was definitely over my head with mm-hmm. a lot of the things. But I just did it. And with, with an earnest appreciation for it and just a desire to improve. Yeah, yeah. And and my, my probably my biggest influence on keyboards is Herbie Hancock. I was just going to bring his name up. Yeah, was yeah. or is a, one of the most versatile musicians. He could play the traditional jazz, played classical music, was one of the pioneers of electric jazz, funk, and fusion, mm-hmm. and had hits in the eighties. And was just I think he played played with the symphony orchestra when he was a teenager. You know, yeah, it was cool. a, the band yes. was just. And, and and I took after that inspiration and was like, I want to be a versatile musician too. And I'll put my hands in all these different pies mm-hmm. and progressive rock. It, it's no mystery that I end up playing in those bands because like, uh, you know, what Matt said earlier about the you know, following rules, you know, and, and progressive rock was real keen to smash those rules sometimes mm-hmm. and, and sort of turn rock on its head. And a band like Kansas, they were playing like part of the song would be Southern rock. Mm-hmm. And another part would be influenced by Ravel or Bach. Yeah, yeah, cool. And, and or blues <laughs> That's music. A, yes, it's yes. Just, everything is on 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 deck. 
Yep. Yep. That's cool. That, I mean, I love that kind of, and, and if you're in a position to actually do that kind of stuff, it's great. You know, it's great. And, and, um, but I was going to ask you, Matt, uh, so Tom told us what he was growing up. What did you, he listened to? What did you listen to when you grew up? I, I know you're Tom big, and I but, have, have a very similar uh, musical upbringing. Yes was my band, Tom. So I'm uh, amazed you were in the, close to the edge is my favorite record in the universe. That's a great I, record. I sing, it is great. I, I could sing every moment from the beginning to the end. Um, and I, and through Mac, I became friends with Patrick Mraz and his wife Phyllis, and also collaborated with John Anderson on a song. I sent him music, and he sung over it. And that is the musical mountaintop of my life. You know, <laughs> I'm a I'm a fanatic. Um, in, in the in progressive rock, I was I was seeing a documentary years ago, and they said that rock, rock and roll sees a guitar as an instrument of sex, and the progressive rock era sees a guitar as an instrument of science. And I kind of related to that. It makes, wow. it makes us all sound like nerds, but, but I, I really relate to that, you know. And uh, and progressive rock is more uh, influenced by the classical musicians like Bach and Beethoven mm-hmm. when uh, rock and roll is influenced by blues, you know, which is pretty obvious. But um, And I also love progressive rock because of its spiritual uh, – I'm, I'm a hippie, so I'm, I go to India and I do a type of meditation. And so I always – since I was a kid, I related to the spirituality of, of John Anderson's lyrics – and uh, all the progressive bands, King Crimson, um, the, that first King Crimson record is one of the masters. Oh, oh, really? Mm-hmm. The Court of the Crimson yeah. King. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that whole record, beginning to end, you know. Twenty first century schizoid man. Yeah, yeah I can yeah. listen to that all day long. <laughs> yeah, it's a great, great track. You know, um, yeah. and yeah, look at that album cover all day long too. Yeah, yeah. yeah that cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Ooh. it's Robert Fripp, like looking at his nostrils in the mirror or something. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Uh, but, <laughs> you open that. That's a gatefold album cover, and you look at that whole thing. Yes, I remember. Really, it's just tremendous. That's yes. something you want to frame. Get yeah. a special frame for it. My yeah. wife is always frightened of it every time I pull it out because I bought that. What? Wait, hang on. What? And, uh, oh, the album. Okay. Right, no, but I, I, I love how, how Tom, you say you, that progressive rock was trying to break out of the box, and it does it through through fearless spirituality and through all the musical rules getting broken, you know. But but also high highly uh, uh, compositional and not not that improvisational, but very compositional and. and uh, but I'm sure live it, it it can be very improvisational. I don't know if you agree with that. Maybe. Yeah, it can be. And when I played with the group Camel in 2003, wow. and they had a uh, um, an interesting take on things too, since they were around at that 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 spark of progressive rock in in a uh, British progressive rock, and they were telling me that so many rock bands in England were trying to imitate the American artists. They would just love the blues and Motown and guitar, you know, guitar blues, things like that. And other bands wanted to establish their Englishness somehow. And so that's where they brought in the pomp and circumstance and, and the classical influence. And, and I think so that was a part of the Prague thing, too, that I never knew that they were trying to seek other avenues from the other bands of their era that were just going for blues-based American-influenced rock. Yeah. It's funny, you know, now I'm in Kansas, which was one of the first American progressive rock bands yeah. to really like America's, yes. It comes full circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's another thing that is uniquely uh, in the UK and Ireland, and that is the electric folk and folk rock movement mm-hmm. that happened in the 60s as well. And I'm a, I'm a total fanatic of all of those guys, uh, the the Holy Trinity is Fairport Convention, Steel Eye Span, and Pentangle, mm-hmm. and then there's a million offshoots of all that, and it's incredible music, you know. And it's all these hippies in the '60s that instead of turning to rock and roll, or even progressive, they went to the folk music of their of their ancestry, you know. Mm. I saw uh, 
Pentangle play years ago, and they opened for um, Chick Corea mm. and returned wow. to forever. So I saw <laughs> all those guys, Stanley Clark and um, uh, the drummer, who was just like a crazy drummer, um, Billy Carbon. Mm. Wow. Oh, man. I didn't, and Al DiMagnola was the guitar player. I didn't know what oh, yeah. I was seeing. I didn't know what I was seeing. It was at Symphony Hall in Boston. I let you drink, and I was just like, okay. <laughs> They, but oh. they were good. It was like, wow, how does anyone know that? I thought Yes was good. And I thought, because I, 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 I was a Yes fan, and I would hear what they play. And, and to me, it sounds great, but to me, it sounds very, very complicated. But it's compositional, as you say, uh, Matt. But man, Return from Remember, I was like, wow, who can remember this mm. stuff? It's just, whew. but they were great. Yeah. They, you could tell they were great musicians, you know? So that opened my eyes a little bit. Um, I was a Jean Luc Ponty fan back then, too. Yeah, he's, he's okay. Yeah. When you yeah. die. Yep. <laughs> my, my cassette mixes had uh, Return to Forever, Jean-Luc Ponte. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the Spanish fellow that uh, was big back then, too. Hmm. The Spanish fellow. Okay. Who I knows? can't uh, forget it. In anyway. Korea? No. No. no he's, he's from Chelsea. I think. Okay. So, anyway, so um, we're going to take a quick break now, but when we come back, I want to talk about how important the producer is to an album. I know, didn't you just talk to Don Walls? I did. Oh, yeah? Yeah. He's kind of a nut, right? Who, Juan? Yeah, Don yeah, Walls. Yeah, but he's a very astute nut. Is he really young? Yeah, he knows. So, so. He, he was in a band, uh, Was Not Was, and they have a great album called Born to Laugh at Tornadoes, their first album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. I mean, as a matter of fact, I was there to cover their reconception for the first time in three decades. Re oh, really? Yeah. And yeah. the amazing musicians they had, et cetera, et cetera. But he said, didn't he feud with his brother? Wasn't his brother in it and he and the brother doesn't get any line? I don't, I don't know about it. I only dealt on the level with him and yeah. the musicians. And he's very famous, on stage. Though. He's really, people Who go out. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, he's got, I think there's a little bit of celebrity in there too because he's got the look and mm -hmm. he's also everywhere. He also plays with a lot of these musicians. Like Dylan will play at something that's being seen by millions of people he's there. and he's playing bass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. It, there's a Rolling Stones documentary. They're in there jamming and half hour into it, the camera turns around, there's Don Juan sitting yeah. there, you know, yeah. so, wow, huh, so why don't we take a commercial break now, and we'll be right back, this is our music show, we'll be right back after this, you're listening to Mac Money's Mill Tracks, our show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network, please stay tuned. My dad, he's a double amputee, and uh, he's one of my favorite people in the world. To me, a hero is someone who fights for our country and freedom. My dad is a hero. Homes for our troops built this house, and my dad can get through the wide doorways, he can reach anything. Homes for Our Troops builds and donates specially adapted custom homes nationwide for severely injured post-9-11 veterans and enables them to rebuild their lives. Join our mission at hfotusa.org. Welcome back, everyone, to Mac Mooney's Miltrax Live Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. And this is Mac. I'm Ronnie Wall with a show we have for you tonight, our music show. Very quickly, girls, the very famous Juan Juan is here. Hello, Mac. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. It's been fun so far. Also, our favorite good witch up there in Sideways and Young Raven is with us, Raven. Hello, my friends. Thank you for having me. Do, uh, do you play any instrument, Raven? I used to. What, you, what was it? I'm not telling, because everyone always gives me shit. Well, 
We'll have to cut that out. Okay, go ahead. Please tell us now. I swear, if I hear any jokes about this. Okay, no jokes. Can I guess? No jokes. We'll be the judge of that. I used to be a flute player. A flautist. That's cool. There's about five seconds of dead air there, but it's okay. Good. Very good. Hated it. Why? How many flute players does it take now? Right, yes. Wow, okay. I wouldn't have picked you as a flute person, but... I wanted to play the saxophone, but they told me my hands were too small. So they wouldn't let me play it. And I was like... Okay. Like, that, whatever. That one, that one wasn't too small. We just saw there up on the screen. Look along. <laughs> yeah, those look pretty good. I mean, too small. You couldn't reach the the keys. The stops. Yeah, they said that like because I couldn't wrap my hands around like the really? the jugular of it. Is that a thing? And I don't Do know, you know what it's called, but <laughs> is that a yeah, thing? So yeah. then they just switched me to a flute. Really? Okay. Hey, greatest right. saxophone player of all time in rock. Who's that guy? Who looks like a muscle man? Yeah. Played um, with Tina Turner on the Private Dancer tour. Oh wow! Yeah, I know his name. Uh, that guy. Uh, he was Ringo too. Yes. Yep. Yeah. He's yeah. not. He's not much of a yeah, muscle man anymore. He. He doesn't. I mean, he's actually working out during a show. He, yeah. He's he plays uh, percussion, you know saxophone, exactly what you're talking keyboard. Mouth enhancers. Also with us is uh, Mark Poulin, famous East Coast musician. Mark. Yeah. Okay. You bottom feeder. <laughs> don't say that. You're the one with the. Um, Sound effects machine there, pal. You got to put that right up there. So, listen, you uh, how many bands have you played with, Mike, over the years? Would you say I'm going to say ten big bands? Geez, I don't know. I never, never really counted. Mm-hmm. Next time I'll know. But you've opened for a lot of people, and you've played for people too, right? Yeah, for um, Thompson Twins and Echo and the Bunnymen. Remember them, Echo and the Bunnymen. Uh, this is that era, early '80s, you know? in Liverpool. Yep. Um, REM, of course. Mm-hmm. Almost, mm. almost killed their career. Yep. That wasn't my others, but they're just losing my. Then you play a um, losing my head. Huh? Then you play a gig for Excuse a rich me. guy, a private gig down Cape Cod, and you always have the six million dollar man there. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, six million dollar man. The the guy from the guy that Lee Majors. Lee Majors. I think he turned a hundred. Did he turn a hundred years old? Dave Thomas. Dave Thomas. Dave Thomas. There you go. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And the Drifters. I think we opened for them. Hmm. That's right. There's another one. Well, huh. Oh, that is another one. And oh, and um, Pete Rose of all things. Pete Rose, the baseball player. Yeah. <laughs> What's he doing? This, Sing? Was, I'm trying to think of the name of the guy. He lives down in Pocasset or something. Oh, that guy. Yeah, he's a big. Uh, what is he? Car dealer. Big lawyer. Okay. Yeah. 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 Big time New York lawyer. Mm. Wow. Well, huh. And it's not coming to be in the name, but. Yeah, I mean, you you tell me about that gig every year. You just get crazier after all those drunken celebrity friends get up there and try to sing and stuff. Oh yeah, Lee, Lee Majors really got. Yeah. Well, he was he was hammered. <laughs> trying to trying to pick up Cindy, the uh, Patsy Klein girl. Really, yeah, <laughs> from Farrah Fawcett to oh, Cindy. He was, Interesting. He was going hard to the hoop on that one. Well, a little, a little sports he, reference he in, the in the paint. Now, did he? Let me try this thing. In the studio with us is musician, I mean music journalist, Robert Ferraro. Robin, how are hey, you? Wonderful. Thank how you. is it so far? Is it what you thought it was going to be? It's more. Is it? It's <laughs> That's more. what they always say. Please, Mark, with the uh, sound effects machine. So, um, I'm trying. I don't think it's coming through. Is it? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. What do you do? I mean, yeah. is this what you do? Like, is this all that I do? Yeah. No, no, no. Okay, what are you in real life? <laughs> a superhero. No, I, ma- I manage 
uh, parking lots, parking systems, valet crews, and things like that. Cool. Um, but we're actually, in the months of January and February around here, we do very little of anything. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I'm on vacation mm-hmm. at the time. A friend of mine has a uh, Corvette. And it it's it has a thing where it's it's the um it's the key you give to the guy who parks your car. Yeah, the valet key. So we'll go more than fifteen miles an hour or something, yeah, right? Yeah, right? Yeah. It'll stall out. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay. So well, thanks for being with us. And um, well, you've you've interviewed maybe fifty people. You said. Yeah, maybe more. And how do you how do you get their attention? That's a lot of work. If it was if that was easier, I'd be doing a lot more of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot less of everything else. It's difficult. You have to deal with PR reps and stuff. And you find that once you get to the um, actual uh, people themselves, they're very happy to see you and mm-hmm. talk to you. And then you wind up talking to them even longer than you expected. And, and it's great. But the PR reps are so scared of like aggravating their client mm-hmm. that they're consistently getting in the way and saying, oh, I don't know. How many followers do you have? Mm-hmm. Between the two things, I have like 30,000 followers. But they, they blink at that. Mm-hmm. Like They just, uh, I don't know if you'd want to do that. And, and then when I meet them, they said, "Why? Why am I first meeting you right now?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, what are they? What are they afraid of? That you're going to ask they're them afraid, an embarrassing question? Um, a little bit, or that they might feel like they're not in esteemed enough company when they speak to me. Like, why am I not speaking to the local affiliate, to NBC, this kind of thing? Oh, and it's uh, it, it's it's ridiculous. Every time I meet them, they go, "Why am I first meeting you?" And I said, "I've been talking to your people for three years." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's nice once you get through. You really feel like you do run into that. I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Well. Also joining us is uh, original bass player from Counting Crows, my pally Matt Malley. Matt, how you doing? Good, good, good to be here. Mm-hmm. You could, uh, Matt, you, you, Matt, could play. you toured with the Rolling Stones during Voodoo Lounge, right? Yeah, we opened for them. In yeah. fact, just the other day, I did a session with Bernard Bernard Fowler, who's one of the back. Oh, oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Wow. yeah, he's a great guy and a great singer, a great it, artist. I'll actually cut in real quick to just say he's a big friend of my show. Or like my is he really ende- my endeavor. He's a wonderful guy, and that's yeah. why I'm butting in because you said that he really is just a great dude. And one day I said, "Hey, could I talk to you about whatever?" He said, "Sure, sure, call me." I guess he was like in an LA studio or something. And we're talking, and I'm looking. It's like it's an hour, it's two hours, mm. two and a half hours, three three hours plus later. I just said, "What are you promoting anyway?" He's like, "Oh no, nothing. nothing. We're just talking, just talking." Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, his gener- his generosity was incredible. Yeah. He's, been, he's been with them for a long time, too. He's yeah. talked yeah, with the Stones for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In fact, the session, it was kind of a celebrity session, I guess, because also there was a violin player named Scarlett Rivera, and she was in Bob Dylan's Rolling Thunder Review. And uh, and she and I knew had had something to talk about because another guitarist in, her, in Dylan's band at that time was T-Bone Burnett, mm-hmm. who was the first uh, prose record. And so... She and I were, had a lot to talk about Tebow in there, but it was it was a fun session because they were all great players and they were really good people. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, also with us is Tom Brislin, keyboard player for Kansas. Tom, how are you doing? Great. Thanks for having and, me on. How's everybody doing? What are you doing this year? Are you going back out on your tour? On a tour? I'm sorry? Are you going back out on a tour this year, 2023? Oh, yes. We are touring a lot this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting in March, we're, we're picking up our Kansas Classics tour. Um, that goes until mid-May, and then in June we kick off the Kansas 50th anniversary tour, mm-hmm. where we are doing we are digging deep and playing music from almost every Kansas album. Oh, that's cool. Who, de- who yeah. decides? Who decides what songs you play? That would be our esteemed band leaders Phil Ehart on drums and Richard Williams on guitar, the original mm-hmm. founding members who are still part of the group. Mm-hmm. Have uh, they been with the group the whole time, or did they come and go? They have been with the group the whole time, and in fact, I learned that they even have been playing together since high school. Wow. 
Well, it doesn't last it for them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you ever get uh, nervous? I'm going to ask Tom this first. Do you get stage fright ever? No, um, but I don't say that casually. I mean, there was a time, you know, early on, but remember, I started throwing myself to the wolves with gigs since I was 15. Mm-hmm. So I had some years to get the the heebie-jeebies out, I right. guess. Mm. But, you know, so my stress dreams are all about, like, you know, gear malfunctioning or showing mm. up to the gig and I don't have that one cable that is absolutely <laughs> necessary <laughs> to do the whole show. Those are the types of things that, that weigh on me. But it, yeah. the things that I can control are how much I prepare for the show. <laughs> and, and you sing, too, right? You sing as well right i do yeah yes i do in fact i sing lead on one of the tracks on the latest kansas studio album oh, cool. it's a song cool. i wrote called the song the river sang oh yeah i've heard that true final song on the album and we were playing it on our our tour last year for, mm-hmm. uh, so that was that's something i did not expect i mean I, I used to sing lead in my band spiraling but those were all songs that i wrote and it was a completely different style of music mm-hmm. but so, the, so the kansas tradition is that they they have some variation in the lead vocals so mm-hmm. It made sense, and uh, I had a great time. As someone said, uh, "Carry on, my wayward son." Has f- it's the only rock song that has uh, five hooks. There's five hooks in there. You know, it's it's created five hooks. Wasn't that written like overnight or something? The story about how those first songs are written is really kind of unusual, right? The guy who wrote them. Well, I do know that 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 song is hook after hook, and uh, as it goes, sometimes these these huge songs end up being maybe one of the last ones to come together for the record. And mm-hmm. It's you're kind of the you know, labels putting you up against the wall and say, "Give us a hit," sort of thing. But I don't know the the absolute official story, but I know that Carrie Livgren, who was the main uh, songwriter at that time, was very prolific, and he was just kicking out melody after melody and and hook after hook and. Wayward Son, you're right. It's like mm-hmm. each section. It's like, oh yeah, this is the signature part of the song, and then yeah, you get yeah. to the next part, and you're yeah. like, that's the signature part. Of the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, right, exactly. Yeah. And when you see you playing, um, as we did um, in October, to you know people who grew up with that music, it, it has an impact on them. You know, it, it, you know, from being in the audience, we saw people literally crying during "Dust in the Wind." I mean, it's a special sto- song to them. You know. Yeah, and that's a reminder that I, I can't phone any of it in. Mm-hmm. You know, this is really important music to a lot of people. Like you said, it's a soundtrack of so many people's lives. And so I got to try to bring it to life as best I can. You know what's um, bringing up Carry On My Way Words on? That song is very, um, it's almost like the anthem, if you will, of the show Supernatural, which is an awesome show. And that, you know, appeals to my generation um, you know, people in their twenties and, uh, early twenties. It's, it's so funny though, because like, you know, people my age, like we still listen to that and you hear that song when you're watching the show and it just kind of gives you that like mm-hmm. really warm and fuzzy feeling. Yes. And it's such a powerful song. Um, but yeah, it, it really is like the anthem of that show. Does, does yeah. It... We, we have a big connection to supernatural thanks to that. And we do get a lot of people from the younger generation who got hip to the band via the show Supernatural. Mm. And I'll tell you a story. We were supposed to be on the series finale of Supernatural. The the original script called for they go into a bar and we're playing in the bar. Kansas is playing in the bar. We had our our tickets to Vancouver to film the finale. And there was this thing that happened in 2020 you might have heard about that shut everything down. The pan. And um, so we could not travel. 
it broke our hearts and, and yeah, it oh, that would have been so like i i haven't finished it i'm like i'm that person that doesn't finish shows because i don't want it to end so i just at a certain <laughs> point just stop so that's where i'm at with supernatural but that would have been fantastic yeah well, i didn't spoil anything because it didn't no, 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 <laughs> but i will say this um we they went so when they ended up resuming filming they, they filmed it in la and we still couldn't travel so they rewrote the finale but uh jared padalecki is now starring in the show walker and jensen ackles directed an episode and we just happened to be in austin texas when they were there filming so we end up playing wayward son on an episode of walker wow <laughs> TJ it, was a, it was kind of a wink and a, and a love letter to the supernatural fans who, who kept kept following the guys uh -huh. so that was exactly. really yeah that's so cool so you filmed it you actually did that for a tj walker uh, the song is just called i mean the, the show is this new walker show it might have been okay. it might be sort of a kind of a reboot of walker texas ranger mm. and uh the, the far less chuck norris kicking people in the face okay yes <laughs> there's none of that you know but it's uh we can't get enough they of just that. happened to to be going to see kansas that night and here we were so so what you do did you just mime it did you mime it in front of the cameras no no we played it for real yeah. uh we did they they filmed us doing it a few times mm -hmm. and they had the extras are were the audience because we were going to play a real concert that night at the same venue. Okay, yeah, yeah. So we just were there early and during sound check, they brought in the cameras and the cranes and the special audience of, of extras who just on demand became a riotous rock crowd. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Every time we said action, you know, so when we just filmed it and it worked out really great. Well, that's cool. So, it, it, Matt, you were, um, didn't you write a, um, how can I name that? This uh, an Oscar-winning song in a hotel room or something? Well, Oscar-nominated. Uh, a, a few of us got Oscar nominations because we showed up in Adam's hotel room when he was writing the title track to Shrek Two, and uh, it was just four of us with Adam. So I got in on it, but then Adam ended up giving uh, every, listing everybody's name as a songwriter because I think a couple of guys went went probably crying to him and saying, "Could I please be included in the Oscars?" So uh, they all got in on it. So because Adam's a generous guy, uh, but uh, we we co-wrote uh, "Accidentally in Love" and that became a big hit and and was on that that soundtrack and all. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, yeah, so that was exciting. So when yeah. you see that movie, what do you what's what's in your head? Here comes the, the songs coming up. What's what's it when you hear it? I just remember the recording session, and that was done in London at a place called Sarm West, which is a legendary studio where Led Zeppelin Three was recorded. I remember just tripping out on that while we were there, mm -hmm. and I, I listened to the engineering and, and how good it is. It's it's a really well recorded song. Yeah, okay, well, yeah. Yeah, that leads into what we just want to talk about for a second is the, the producer. So, when when records are made, I'm going to try to uh, you know simplify it. Basically, when you look at think of it as a cake. Okay, and they record the drums, then they record the bass, and then they record the rhythm guitar, then they record maybe the vocals, the horns, whatever, and then the last vocal, maybe the guitar solos, and they're they're able in a in a in a recording studio put all these together, and to make you know a song. The 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 Beatles did it with four tracks. Now there's four million tracks. Mm. There is really no uh, limit to it. But the producer is the guy who says, "This is what we're going to play here. This is what we're going to play here. This is how the record is going to go." And and that your first producer you brought him up uh, earlier was T Bone T Bone Burnett, right? Yeah, T Bone Burnett. Yeah, he was a, he was the greatest producer I ever got to make a record with, because he got into all the machinery of every song with us. He's a songwriter as well, so he got into this machinery, everybody's parts, and showed us better ways to to think of a songwriter's music, you know, and how to fit in. 
and and she said there should be no ordinary moments on our record. I did eighth <laughs> notes for the chorus of one song, and he said, "Let that be the only time you play eighth notes on this whole record." <laughs> and I thought, "Wow, his his high bar is high." And uh, <laughs> he also said something else really brilliant. He said, "Like one guy was pl playing an open G chord, just strumming," and T Bone said, "All right, let's track that, but at the end we're gonna that's like the the trunk of the tree, and when we're done." We're gonna remove the trunk, and then the tree is gonna hold itself up with all the branches. Because mm. he, he didn't like lazy, lazy playing. He didn't like uh, autopilot. Very, very rarely he he allowed that on that first record. Mm -hmm. And, and that's a, it's a really, a, it's really a great record. And I'm really proud to be a bass player on that first record. But you had, he was he he handed some tough love, not to you, but someone, a few other people in the band, right? Tough he'd love. lay in on them if they weren't up to. To, uh, like if they, T-Bone was great because he would he saw the the um, potential in everyone's personalities and everyone's skills, and if somebody was just kind of sleeping through the, a day or a session, mm -hmm. he he would go easy on them. You know, uh, I don't know, like what a couple of guys maybe had, had uh, I wouldn't call it tone deafness, but they, they don't really they're not natural <laughs> players, and T-Bone knew that right away, and he, he he said a couple of things a couple of times. But they're, they were still band members after that, so they're okay. Mm -hmm. But you know, he 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 didn't have a temper per se, but he 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 had a high bar. That he, here he is with a great singer songwriter. Is Adam Duritz is a great singer songwriter, for you know, forgetting his personality and if he's a uh, has a, he's a jerk or not. He's a great singer songwriter, and Tebow knew that, and he wanted the band to get up to that level where Adam was writing and singing. Mm -hmm. You know. Wow, huh? And, and and Tom, who have you worked with? That whose name would we might know, producer wise? Producer wise, well, it's interesting because the last the the Kansas Studio album was actually produced, co-produced by the aforementioned band leaders band. and Zach yep. Rizvi, who uh, co-wrote most of the music on the album, and was the seventh member of the band on on guitar until twenty twenty. So it was interesting working with someone who you, you sort of share that stage with as well, you know, <laughs> so it wasn't that separation. I didn't really have that opportunity to work with one of the mythical names. Mm -hmm. I don't know how, how it would be, but I've worked with some really astute producers. You know, I did a meatloaf album called Couldn't Have Said It Better, and Peter Mokrin was a producer, and he was the type that was really hands-on on the board. But there are some producers who don't go near the the equipment. Mm -hmm. they, they they just they're just all about the creativity and the vision and the coaching and the direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, Tom. That's so funny. There's one guy, Steve Lillywhite, produced mm -hmm. one of the Counting Crows records, and he's Me responsible too. for mm -hmm. the early '80s, I think, and the uh, the including a Peter Gabriel record. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the first two or three U2 records are all Steve Lillywhite, and he would just show up and listen. <clears throat> And then we'd all play better. And he said he would say, let's do another. That sounded good. And then we'd do another. And he'd say, let's go with the first one. I think that was good. So we made a whole record like that. And it was the opposite of T-Bone Burnett. It was hands off. Yeah, right. And just show up and we, we play, you know. Um, not much why are they doing so, that? Why, why do they do that? Why do they choose to do that? Just uh, that's what the record company thinks the producer is going to give them? Or is just lazy? I think they have good ears and they know if it's good enough, you know, uh, they're just keeping themselves at more of a distance. Mm -hmm. and, I don't know, whatever you think too, Tom, because you have experience as well as that, you know. Sometimes you hear rock groups getting into fights with producers and mm -hmm. so on, and I, I, I don't really understand why that happens. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think also, like, because one of the main reasons rock albums have had producers 
over the past decades was to so the label could get a sellable product <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, yeah, get sure. hits. And, and so oftentimes the producer was in there to make sure that the, the the band could create something with that was commercially viable and so when you have that collision of the band wanting to be their true artistic selves and experiment and you know they're, they're they want to do their sergeant pepper yes and and meanwhile the label's like we want this under budget and we want hit songs that are going to make you know our investment back. So you, there is going to be a clash for sure because a lot of times, like my old band, it's called Spiraling, and we had a demo deal. We never had a full record deal, but we had some labels that saw something and wanted us to get with the producer to see if they could get you know unlock the secret to our hit power, mm-hmm. so to speak, and. I was so concerned with you know le- listening to the producers the way the album sounded, and I w- I was very young at the time, and I wasn't listening to those producers that were getting the best songs out of their band, mm-hmm. and so that, that that was an education of itself. Do do but do you bring in if there's twelve songs in an album, they're not even really albums anymore. Do you bring in twenty songs, and, and then some, some are just do it that way, yeah. So, so, some some will do it that way because you want to make sure that you get the best of the best. That's expensive, though. I could see, you know, why wouldn't they just say, all right, listen, show up and we got 12 songs here. Well, Mac, the Rolling Stones seem to have a penchant for being able to do that, especially back in the in the 70s, I think, uh, during their 70s and 80s, during a creative period where, uh, who was the producer? Jimmy Miller was? Yeah, yeah, uh, he produced a lot the of this producer stuff. producer for, uh, like, the uh, Sticky Fingers era. Mm-hmm. Exiles on Main Street. Yeah, but they're different. They're that a different guy case. Was though. needed just to put, just to keep the band together. <laughs> yeah, but this is the product. There's a recording studio in Paris that is just set up for the Rolling Stones. No one else goes in there. And if they happen to be right. in Paris and want to record, they're available. You know, I just can't imagine someone saying to Keith Richards after all this time, not that they record a whole lot of uh, mm-hmm. original stuff anymore, but you can't play that. I don't, I don't, I don't see that happening. You know, I don't see anyone telling any of those guys, anyone in U two or Rolling Stones or you name it. He didn't, and he didn't. They just had to be there once or twice to play it because oftentimes they're out, you know, gallivanting around town. But you know, then Keith Richards would do these, you know, being in the studio for you know five days in a row without getting any sleep and yeah, just right. banging out some stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah huh? How do you do that? That's what he's famous <laughs> for. It's so, possible. So, so does the producer get a cut? Does he get a cut of the album, or what the album makes, or does he just work for hire, if you know what I mean? Do you know, Matt? Yeah, huh? he gets a cut, yeah. often more than the musicians, you know. Really? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean, the songwriter gets that publishing money as a separate income, so the songwriters get rich fast mm-hmm. first, and, uh, and a producer's second to the songwriter, in my experience. Well, yeah, I know that the way that it's divvied up is kind of weird. If you're the songwriter, you get so much. If you if you play on the record, you get so much, and it's always kind of keeps getting cut down and cut down until yeah. it's George Harrison and Ringo money. You know, I mean, they there's a part in um, the. Um, I should ask you, did you think what did you think of the um, latest Beatle thing? Get back. Oh, oh, I loved it. Really, yeah. I felt like I felt like I was in the room. I feel like a lot of times when you're watching these things, things get dictated to you and they get cut up almost like they're. Uh, a narratives, but mm-hmm. life isn't a narrative. You and I have been sitting in this room for two and a half hours, mm-hmm. and 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 so no script here. Yeah. <laughs> so I think you know basically. Oh, we should do another show. <laughs> this is Robert Frower, music journalist. <laughs> I, I was very disappointed in it. I mm. was very disappointed in it because 
I think that it was, and it was good to see them. Mm. It was good to see them looking like mm. it, they filmed it yesterday. I love that part of it. But there's a lot of parts in that that they. I mean the the celebrity the the um, you know the premiere was 90 minutes long. Right. So why? Why do we get eight hours long well, other than Disney wants Well, to. I will say this. The, the first movie that came out all those years before and the second movie, they're pulling from the same footage. Mm-hmm. And look at the difference between the tone and the two. One yes. made it a very negative experience. This is the end. And then right. the other one showed, let a little air in, let a, let, let a little light in. And that just goes to show you how an edit, yeah, you but can they tell broke two up. stories with the same thing. But they broke up. Sure. But those moments, those light moments, they happen right before your eyes. Yeah, yeah. That's before, true. You know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was... That first airing was on PBS. I recorded on on VHS, mm-hmm. and right, I got the sense that you know I think it was just called "Let It Be" or something. But I just got a sense that, that we're first watching movie. them break up right in front of our eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, well, the guy. I mean, uh, he wouldn't have. Uh, George it's, Harrison it's, say, "I'll play anything you want to play. Just tell me what yeah. what you want. And I'll play it." It's mm-hmm. such a it's such yeah. a British argument. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, was it really is. Civil. Unless someone just you know, I could see Motley Crue like throwing an amplifier at somebody. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. you play what I want. It, 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 Matt, did you ever have? I mean, I know that you were with Tony Crows for how many years? Uh, Fourteen. Uh, you told me once that uh-huh. uh, when you're getting off the tour bus, if the guy in front of you like wants to put his shoes on on the second step, it's 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 okay the first year, and then the fourteenth year you just want to kill the guy, right? Is that- <laughs> yes, the things that start off small become mountains of issues. You mm-hmm. know? A bunch of men are not made to live elbow to elbow for a decade, you know, on a tour bus. Mm-hmm. The, Beatles, the Beatles stopped touring, and then they just—that's why they broke up, I guess. Even though they had something so magnificent, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, yeah, little things become big because, on the road. Uh, 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 Tom, do you ever like not want to do it? Do you know what I mean? Well, I'm really fortunate now because we're not doing the bus. Mm, cool. We're flying in and grabbing a couple of vehicles at the airport and playing a couple of shows, and we have the sort of the best of both worlds where we go home most mm-hmm. weeks. And uh, because you know they, these guys who have been in this band for fifty years yes. have been there and done that, and uh, so they want a, a comfortable touring environment. And, and the way Kansas works, it's it's we can uh, accommodate that. So <laughs> I'm really lucky, but I paid the dues yep. in the van with my band yep. and the. Mm-hmm. You know, air sandwiches every day, <laughs> and um, and what was really weird though is that I did the bus first. My first touring experience was as a member of Meatloaf's band. Okay, and I did you know, world touring you know, Europe and the United States, and we would stay at Ritz Carlton's and stuff, and fly business class when we did fly. And I was like, this is great, you know. Yes, yes. But I, after we were done with that tour, I went out with my band as a support for um they might be giants oh tour. i never know no sure. yeah yeah and um and but it was like we were in a chevy astro van cool. <laughs> and, and borrowing part of their truck space for our gear but was it fun friends and so it was yeah I, I can't take credit for this quote but somebody told me that touring is like miracle grow for your personality flaws <laughs> <laughs> mark where's the love it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow you huh. see the best and the worst yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Robert, you must want to ask these guys something, do you? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I have a. All right, I have a trivial question for Tom. Very trivial. Mm-hmm. You said you did like eighty to ninety shows most recently with Kansas. Is that right? Uh, per year. Is per the, year. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. How many of those shows are in Kansas? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah. Are they really? Yeah. Okay. We, we they give a lot of love to their old stomping grounds. <laughs> I was like, wondering. Yeah, we hit the middle of this country quite a bit. <laughs> do you really? That's funny. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, they didn't their first. Con- the first successful concert was someone went around and put up 
post it said free beer, right? Didn't like people the show up. Free beer trick. Yeah, yeah. Let's <laughs> <laughs> put him on the map. Okay, so. Well, that's good. And the, the guitar player, remind us of his name again in Kansas, because he looks like he's kind of an old dude, but, man, he can play. Richard Williams. Yeah, yeah. Original guitarist. Yeah, yeah man, really good. Really good. So um, so I'm trying to think of other things. Hey, Mark Poulin, you must have a story yeah. or two. You must have a story or two of being a musician. There's some you can't tell. I know that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, all right. The Elvis impersonator. Go ahead. I told you that one, right? And, uh, With the cologne? This was in, uh, yeah, Cologne, Dracon Noir or something like that. Okay. Ooh, Dracon Noir. Yum. There you go. So yeah, good. it smelled great. But anyway, <laughs> I don't eat this it. Elvis guy like, really slathered that stuff on. And boy, you could smell it a mile away. So he comes up on the stage, right? It's a flatbed truck or something. And there's lights, the whole deal, right? And he comes out and he's, I guess that Cologne was attracting those big, Cicada bugs? Is that what they call them? Those big bugs. The big giant. Uh, I don't even know, but they're all over the place. I'm trying to, you know, shoo them away while I'm playing. And yeah, they're like locusts. It was, it was just a mad. <laughs> yeah, they're just music <laughs> yeah, fans. Perhaps a locust. Good music. And, um, that's that story. Okay. But what's yeah. well, the yeah, story about you, know. you uh, taking some illegal substances one night you played and something happened? Or did I dream that too? Hmm. Okay, maybe. Uh, I don't know. Maybe not. I don't recall. Okay. All right. I want to throw this to uh, our good friend Robert. Hmm. Um, is there like a show or a concert that you're, or, or a group, I should say, um, that you're dying to cover that you haven't, you know, interviewed yet? Somebody no. want to. Um, yeah, I feel like whenever I say no, I'm like ageist, right? Because I'm. I'm almost 51, right? And I'm like, oh, I don't know if there's really anybody I haven't seen. And the truth is, um, there isn't really one. It's more because I spent way too much money and time going to so many shows. My wife and I tried to count ticket stubs, and mm-hmm. I've seen like over 350 concerts. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. And 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 like when you do that, there's certainly there's people you haven't seen, mm-hmm. but um, with any ingenuity, you've seen the people you're dying to see. Right. You right. know. And uh, I would say uh, nobody really sparks me to. Maybe that could change. That's the beautiful thing about music. Mm-hmm. That could definitely yeah. change. No, mm-hmm. no doubt. Yeah. Is, uh, are they all rock shows? Uh, no, they 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 vary widely, but they're mostly rock shows. And I went through the stages. I was eight years old in 1980. I was 18 years old at the end of the 80s. So I was going. I, I saw hair metal shows like crazy. Mm-hmm. I saw. 50 hair metal shows minimum uh and you go through stages i was a big classic rock guy and then everybody started to reunite and come back around in the 90s early 2000s and then you start getting into some of the new stuff but so if you what you like you tend to like really go a lot yeah yeah, sure i don't know how many times juan has seen the rolling stones but the funny thing about rolling stones fans (laughs) is you don't have big numbers because they don't play a lot in one city they come Mm -hmm. to your city and it's like a huge event they come every three years Mm -hmm. or something like that but but a band like the um, but but they're still like the topest the top grossing uh, yeah, well, yeah 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 they they yeah. do it they do it right they they charge so much for tickets and they do it like first class what they do and these guys have toured extensively you know so you could compare it uh, Tom and Matt compare it to your experiences but like the Stones will go into Chicago on a Thursday mm-hmm. and they will stay for four nights before they play mm-hmm. and they <laughs> and they have a huge huge entourage right. and, and and eighteen you know trucks in the back and the whole mm-hmm. nine yards. 
And then, uh, especially nowadays, because they're doing it with one stage and not two. Back in the day, they would have another stage go ahead. Yeah, we were talking about that earlier. Yeah, right. and now they do it with one stage. The so leapfrogging. They do. So, like Bernard says, like Bernard Fowler says, he'll go into like Chicago on a Thursday, Singer. and he's hanging out Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, hits the stage Monday. Wow. And then they're off to New York. Damn. And that's what that ticket price is what for. What a lifestyle. Yeah, comfort. right. Yeah, yeah. Comfort. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But... But they deliver. That's the yeah. thing. You know, if, if you got ripped off after all that, you really, really feel bad. Yeah. But it's kind of worth it. You know, and, and I also remember sitting there when, when I saw the Stones, and I wasn't a, like a huge, huge fan, but uh, one one talked me into going. I'm so glad I did. It's like, oh, they were, um, From the, the music riff, system. You were on board. Yeah, I was on board yeah. for sure, right. 20 <laughs> seconds into it. They weren't, they weren't mailing it in. But, but their sound system, the sound was great. They sounded great. They played great. They play, and I'm thinking, yeah. well, they should be. They've been around for so long. They should yeah. have this down by now, you know. But remember, to, off air, we had that discussion coming in about how you go to a show if you're with somebody and they're really turned on. You're like, this is great, right, especially yeah. if it's a band you love. Well, I didn't feel one way or the other about Springsteen. I know he's a he's a great live and he's got a great band. But I brought my friend who's like a metalhead, and he went and like a song or two in, he just turns to me and he says, "Is he always like this?" Oh, I said, "Yeah, I mean, for the last forty years." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that's why you know him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You right. know, and afterwards he just said that was phenomenal. I saw, uh, remember about a few, um, probably a couple months ago, what's her name? Uh, Taylor Swift came out with her new album. And what they kept uh, kept um, pushing in the media was that it was selling quicker than the Beatles albums, but then a Beatles album actually overtook it or something, mm -hmm. and who knows. Mm -hmm. But you know that if you can link your album sales to anything the Beatles did or did not do, you're going to get press, right? right? So they made such a big stink about this album I listened to it on YouTube. Has anyone listened to it? I've heard it. To no. it? it sounds no, like it was yet. done in my basement. Mm. There's nothing. There's no band there. Mm. It's all studio stuff, right? Mm. And and she can't sing, so they just stack her vocals. One of the easiest uh, things now is to sell, break those sales records. Like Drake has mm -hmm. broken like almost everybody's sales records yeah. because if you're in 1978, you hear this awesome song, you don't know what the album sounds like, so you don't mm. go get the album. Uh, then you hear the second single. You go, oh, that's pretty good. But you still might not want to go spend $16 in 1978 to go get the album. Right. And then uh, maybe you'll be in the mall, and then you'll go, and then you'll buy another album because the album cover looks different. And mm -hmm. you'll come home with the Loverboy album mm -hmm. instead of the album you wanted to come home with. I love them. A lot had to go in. Yes, yeah, You yes. know, to, to getting this. And now you literally go, I want that. You push the button. And you have it. It comes out of your yeah. cash app or Venmo, and you own it. And I think all modern artists have, uh, have crashed and destroyed those old okay, but, but what happens is what happens when no talent has to be involved because mm. because she claims she writes her own songs and she doesn't mm. and the way that they present her vocally on this new album she it's obvious she can't sing i've been in sessions where the people can't sing mm. mark you know who i'm talking about and <laughs> yep they literally had to do it word by word by word right. okay yeah. and um and I don't think they could even do that with her. They just doubled and tripled and quadrupled her. You were talking about producers earlier. If you ever want to just get some laughs, you want the best stories, right? Mm -hmm. Just bring a hair metal producer from the 80s out for a beer. <laughs> and, right? yeah. and then they'll, he'll get the biggest names and he'll just say, can't play, can't play, can't, couldn't play. Yep. Oh, because they were too wasted? No, just can't play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're funny. Yeah. You know? But they're famous, you know? Yeah. They're making money. Um, there's a... Yeah. Um, Steve Lukather, who is the sure. guitar player for Toto, and and for millions and millions of songs you've heard, um, is interviewed at Sound City, Sound City, I guess, in mm -hmm. in, in Hollywood, L.A., and he's played on uh, five thousand records. You know, other than Toto, he's played on like five thousand records. And he was a, 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 a 
studio musician when he was like 16 or whatever. And he says that he has, he had to uh, sign three non-disclosure agreements for playing guitar on uh, playing guitar on like Guitar Heroes albums because mm-hmm. they couldn't. He says some of them can't do the rhythm. He goes, the simple shit that makes the world go round. Right. You know, he can do that, but they can't do that. Well, that's why he did the rhythm for Beat It and Eddie did the solo. Right, yes, yeah. That, yeah. That's Toto playing yeah. Michael Jackson's song, and, yeah. and Eddie does the, the Eddie Van Halen does the solo. Um, uh, so I guess what I want to say is like, like let's say, have you, ever, have you ever been paid as a studio musician, Tom? I've done sessions, yeah. Okay. What, what, so is that work for hire, or, or do you get a piece of what you're playing on? You uh, get a percentage. It, it, it varies, but usually if you're hired as a session musician, that's, that's that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do, you, do they let you know if the song you played on is any good? Is going to, uh-oh, there they are calling. Uh, say again? Do they, do they let you know? That the song you played on might be a hit, or is being released, or whatever, or is it just one and done? I well, I, I usually get a get a sense of what the plan is for the recording. Mm-hmm. But there have been times where I've played on something and they had all these great plans, and the particular artist just didn't put it out, or they were waiting for another label, or you know, things happen. Sometimes yep. things go on the shelf. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But yep. I didn't do a ton of sessions, but I've I've done a few, and I've also produced some as well. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's that side of the coin, but mostly independent things. Except for you know the Meatloaf album, couldn't have said it better. That was uh, that was a major label mm-hmm. uh, release, and a couple set. When I lived in Nashville for a brief period, and and did a couple of sessions for some country artists and things like that. But in Nashville, the demo recording scene is different than the album recording scene, and there's um, there are there's like different uh, protocols for each. So. Mm-hmm. What did you call Meatloaf? Did you call him Meat or Loaf? Meet or boss? Boss. Interesting. What kind of a guy was he? Well, he was the guy that gave me the shot at playing big stages. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I learned a lot from him. And he, he really coached us all on how to wring the most out of a performance. Because mm-hmm. he, he always saw himself as an actor or an athlete, not so much a musician. An and athlete. It was all about hitting your marks. <laughs> wow. And getting the maximum dramatic effect at any point yeah, sure. on a show. Yeah, yeah, like a Bond showman type thing, right? You know what to do. He, yeah, he just uh, he got his, uh, you know, his background in a lot of theater. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, he did. Um, he was in Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. That's like the first thing that always comes to my mind. And I mean, he he for such a short, you know, appearance on screen. It's I a, mean, he yeah, took big. you for a ride. <laughs> yep. yep. Oh, we we used to have people show up at. The concert's dressed as Eddie from Rocky Horror. Really, yeah. Oh, my God. That's so cool. You, you know, I got to tell you, between Yes and Meatloaf, Tom has played in front of some really focused, I'll say that, to be nice, audiences. Mm. I mean, crazy audiences. Like, how, how did you find the Yes audiences? They're, like, um, notoriously put out more by their band than anybody. They've had to go through so many gymnastics, through the lineups, et cetera. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I, I do say that I, I'm, I'm happy that social media wasn't around when I was in, on the tour. <laughs> um, but I uh, I was really welcomed mm-hmm. by, mm-hmm. by the fan base, by and large. But every that's there's a like you said that that's a fan base that's got a lot of feelings and a lot of opinions and a lot of drama, a lot of camps and this and yep. that. So I just 
tried to respect the music as much as I could and and have a good time. And, but a lot of the Yes fans have stuck with me through my various groups over the years cool. and, that's and great. Are, are still, they still got my back. So I'm, I'm really happy about that. Yeah, that's great. Hey, Matt, what was your experience like dealing with John Anderson? Get turn on your mic. Oh, you're on mute, Matt. Mic. Turn on your mic. There you go. All right, yep. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, gosh, I was very timid with him because because I, uh, I don't. The last thing I want to do is become a nuisance to my number one favorite singer, <laughs> the lead singer of Yes, John yeah, Hanson. So, um, so uh, our mutual friend um, uh, Rob, uh, what was it, Rob A? Rob Elling. Rob Elling. Yep. Rob Elling. Yep. Uh, who's out touring with Rick Wakeman now? He's kind of Rick's uh, assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Rob got me in touch with John and kind of uh, coached me through the whole talking to him. He warned me that John can be very mercurial, meaning he'll either respond to an email or completely ignore me, mm-hmm. like, or, he'll, or he'll show up on my front door. I think you actually said that too. Yes. He'll either, <laughs> yeah, he'll either show up on your front door or totally ignore you. And so I just diplomatically would send an email and say, uh, yeah, this is this is Matt from Counting Crows. Let me know if you want to collaborate on anything. And John said, finally responded and said, uh, send me some music, and I'd love to. And I, I just immediately went up to my little studio and just listened to what he's been doing for the last few years. Well, this was back in 2014, so I, I listened to what he'd been up to, and just uh, I played a little bit of piano. Tom, I'm, I'm not an expert, but played a very simple sort of uh, you know um, new agey thing on a on a nice keyboard. Uh, I put some Indian instruments on it, including a slide guitar, acoustic slide, Indian slide, and tabla, and uh, and bass. And I just sent it to him, and then he sung over it, and mm-hmm. he wrote a song over it and sent it back. And I, you couldn't wipe the smile off my face that day when that happened. And finally, through Rob's help, we got him to release it on voice print as a single for charity. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just a YouTube of it, you know. It's just a, a shot, different shots of like stock footage of things, a space, and I don't know what, and. Uh, and it's it's uh, but but dealing with John was he, he's a nice really nice guy but I was very scared of I, I didn't want to I, I didn't want to uh, just annoy him and how could I ever listen to Close to the Edge if I knew that John Anderson's annoyed with me <laughs> right I, I got to tell you a story okay I should not tell the story on the air but he was my I I, I was a huge huge fan of Yes okay huge and. Ten years later, um, his PR guy, okay, for he put out an album with uh, Rick Wakeman called uh, "The Living Tree," I think, or something. Yeah, and um, it was awful. Rick Wakeman was a good guy. Rick Wakeman is a good guy. He's just like a regular guy. Ever talked to him, Rick Wakeman? No, I haven't. He's like a comedian. He's he's like a has a sense of humor and so on and so forth. John Anson, he was he was to me. Not really with us, you know what I mean? He really was kind of a space cadet in a way and trying to deal with him, you know? I mean, I I, I didn't always get along with him. And here I am having arguments on the phone with this guy. It's like arguing with one of the Beatles or something. It was right. weird. And right. it, it was about stupid about like travel arrangements or something, you know? But I'm saying, how did I get myself into this position? Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> so finally, Rob Ailing, our kind of middleman, uh, said, why don't you and John meet? I'd never met him. I'd never met him. He says, "Why don't you and John meet? Everything will be okay." Okay, and and I I I, I um I got on the wrong side of his wife. Mm. Okay, Yoko. So um so I so I I went and I I met him, and he comes out of this you know dressing room, and I have to remind him who I am and stuff. And but everything's going to be cool. And out of this crowd backstage comes this kid 
who comes up and he goes, John, could I just ask you to just watch one of my both of them? And he proposes to his girlfriend oh my God. in front of John Anderson. <laughs> oh my God. And we're like, and, and Lois is there, and I and we're like, wow, this is like, and he just he just looked at me and went like this. Yeah. And I said, okay, see you later. And that was it. That's and, some bad timing. Yeah, it was, it was, and she started to, she didn't say yes. It was awful. <laughs> it was awful. And he's giving her like a, a leather ring, not a real ring. Hmm. My wife was saying, She's not going to go for that. She's not, and she started crying. And John Anson, you know, I mean, yeah. God love him. He's there. Oh, it's okay. It's all right. It's, but she wasn't buying any of it. So we just get out of there. <laughs> but, I mean, he's he's he's, a, he's made his mark in the musicians, but he's not the, I you know, in the detail stuff, not having to do with music, I, I felt that mm. sometimes we just, you know, didn't uh, see the same way. Twice. So did you, uh, the way you hear his music change to you or no? Yes. It did? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I can listen to Close to the Edge. I can listen to mm-hmm. the early stuff, and and I do mostly, you know, just for their playing and the way that they did it. But one one really quick story, then we have to take a break. So Patrick Moraz got us uh, some uh, backstage passes when they played down at the Twitter Center, which is used to be called Great Woods. Mark will know these names. I went down with Mike Robinson and Red. You know Red, right, Mark? So okay, we have backstage passes. We got the things right. And so Mike is the driver, and Red and I are going to, you know, whoop it up. So we buy uh, little uh, shots of Jack Daniels that we think we're going to drink in there because they're not going to frisk us going in the stage door, but they're frisking everybody, right? So we drink them. You know, he drinks six. I drink five. (coughs) Next thing you know, we're out of it. We're watching. They're great. We're we're going backstage. Red comes out, and he has a whole chocolate cake, and it was just like this crazy kind of rock thing. But we had one extra pass. Uh, left. So after the show, we were able to go uh, backstage. I gave the pass to this guy in a wheelchair. It was really kind of strange. And who walks up but Alan White? Oh, and wow. I said, oh, man, I, I, of all of them, I want to talk to him. So I just said to him, you know, if you can use one word, how can you describe John Lennon? And he said, can I use two words? I said, sure. He says, my hero. Mm-hmm. It was great. It was a moment. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It was like, wow, I'm talking to a guy who actually played with him, you know? Mm-hmm. It was great. Right. And, and there's moments like that in concerts where you're just like, oh, wow, this is the greatest. This yeah. is just, you just feel everything is okay, you know? Yeah. It's where you want to be I, feeling I the way you want to feel. Go ahead. Can I get a minute? Yeah. From a stage and a union stage and point of view, as you know, I was part of IATSC and yes, I was yes. a local crew for a lot of acts at the Worcester Centrum. I still call it the Worcester Centrum and Foxborough for two Stones gigs, uh, Steel Wheels and Buddha Lounge. But my most memorable experience was working hard and cheap trick oh, at the Worcester Centrum. And they decided, make a long story short, they decided, Hart decided that they were going to do a sound check, but do like an acoustic set. So, you know, sound, you know, all the gear was set up, sound check is ready to go, and usually the crew, you know, disappears and goes watches a football game or something. And I like to just hang out, but you you have to keep your space. You know, you have your your place. This is where you uh, started up your affair with Nancy Wilson. Exactly. Okay, go ahead. I'm still. She's the blonde, by the way. Go ahead. (laughs) On the on the stage, and I'm finishing up, and I'm like the last uh, stagehand union guy in the building, in the auditorium, and uh, they they're putting it together to do a acoustic set, and I'm looking around. I'm going, oh, I think I have to split. Said, am I allowed to be here, or do I need to take off? And and uh, Mark Andes, the bass player, said, "Oh, you can say." Who's being spirit? I'm looking around. I'm saying, "Let me make make sure I clear it with the, the troops here and my shop steward." Yes. Well, if they said you could stay, you could stay. I'm the only dude in the auditorium, front row. They're doing an, an acoustic set, 
Hmm. And talk about leg kicks, the whole deal. It's, really? It's, She's leg kicking on acoustic. Robert, songs. you had to be there, right? <laughs> oh, definitely. Talk about I'm not worthy moments. It was just, <laughs> it just was if I, if I had a Fitbit on, it would have exploded because my heart rate was. All right, listen. Great. In in forty five seconds we have before the break, can you tell everyone how you didn't go on tour with Hot? <laughs> yeah, because the their their local their their own crew lighting guy, he wanted to get off the tour because his wife was pregnant. He came up to me, and says, "You know, I've worked with you on this show. I've worked with you before. You probably remember me, but you you bring your own stuff. You have your own tools. And you know how to work a, a you know yes. check all the." Uh, Robotic lighting, you know, the telescans and the everything. Go ahead. Can you replace me? We're going to go to uh, Europe and the Scandinavian con countries about six, seven weeks. I'd like to have my boss hire you to replace me so that I can stay home. And your boss said? And my boss, my wife, I went to the payphone. I said, Eileen, you wouldn't believe what just happened. And my wife says, you better not. I was working for a major computer company based in Massachusetts. She said, you better not quit your day job. There you go. Mark. And uh, no, you can't, you can't go on the tour. I could have gone on the tour. I didn't know what they were going to pay me. It didn't matter. It didn't matter no. that. Okay. So that was I if you done. and Nancy, huh? Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> well, on that note, yeah, why don't we on, take a. on the bus with Nancy. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I've had dreams like that, as it turns out. Listen, I actually wrote a book where she is the female character in it. Because I was just in love with her so much mm -hmm. in the early MTV mm -hmm. days. I'm sorry to be like that, but I was. And then she married that guy, man. He's what's his name? He works for Rolling Stones. Oh yeah, but Cameron that's Crow. that's long over though. Oh, is it really? Oh yeah. Oh, I thought they were still married. No, no. Oh, I feel better. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Why don't we take a commission? And we'll be right back after listening. You're listening to the music show here on Mac Maloney's Military Star Show. Please stay tuned. Imagine if there was a super secret satellite in outer space that could read your thoughts and alter your reality. Imagine if the U.S. government had no knowledge that this satellite even existed. Now imagine if such a powerful weapon fell into the wrong hands. In the latest adventure of Mac Maloney's best-selling detective series, codenamed Starman, Lieutenant Chris Starr of the Navy's X-Files team is given his strangest case yet, track down the ghost of a rogue Navy SEAL who holds the secret to the God Satellite. Once again, teamed with beautiful Irish detective Mara McCann, Starr finds himself looking for clues from the streets of Rome to a mysterious snow-covered mountain in Arizona to Africa's forbidding skeleton ghost, and finally, in outer space itself. But it's only when he realizes a secret vision in the desert points right back to where the case started does Star finally learn what the God Satellite is really about. That's the God Satellite, codenamed Starman, book number three by Mac Maloney, on sale on Amazon and in bookstores everywhere. And listen to Mac's show to learn how you can win a free copy. Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. This is one of our music shows. We had a great time tonight. Real quickly, girls, famous Wamwan is here. Hello, we had a good time tonight. Raven Thanks is here. Thanks for having me. We sent, Hello. We sent out 22 <laughs> pictures of her this past weekend. 22. Uh, yeah. 
Uh, also with us is uh, my Poland famous musician, drummer, singer, guitar player. All of it, yes. All of it. Oh, well, thank you very much. I was as entertained as anybody. Mm-hmm. You used to good play. You used to play John <laughs> Lennon in a band, and and the band was very good. They were like a Beatles tribute band. They were very, they were excellent. What was the name of that band again? Help. Help. Yeah, they were good. Help. Yeah. We would go see them play, well, and, fun, uh, and no matter where they would play. They'd, they'd start one song and like there'd be a rush of like little kids would run up and start dancing to Beatles music. We said, you know what, this music's gonna be around forever because they don't know what's going on, but they just love kind of the beat. Yeah, that was a cool band. Thank you, Mark, yeah, for joining little us. Ones like it. Yeah, the little kids are saying, My grandfather used to listen to this band. Yeah, great grandfather at this point. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> uh, Matt Malley, my pally, Matt Malley. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Mac. Okay. You, you're not flying anymore, are you? When's the last time you flew? I mean, flew your uh, own plane. Uh, you mean on tour? With, with no, the, no, no, no. Weren't you a pilot at one time? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I used to be in the, the airplanes deeply. No, I soloed on my 16th birthday back in 1979, mm-hmm. and that was, I was already a bass player, so that was the end of my, my career. Really? I'm flying up here, but I'm going to be a bass player. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you real soon, okay? We appreciate it. Yep. Tom Brislin, keyboard player for Kansas. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate that. It uh, and so um, me on. how many how many how many shows will you do this year? Would you if you had to guess? Uh, we'll probably do uh, maybe sixty or seventy. Hmm. Uh, fifty of those will be for the fiftieth anniversary tour. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I can, if I may be so bold as to plug it, uh, you okay. can go to kansasband.com and see all the tour dates are all on sale now. In fact. Uh, we will be in Worcester <laughs> on oh, October yeah. 12th at the Hanover Theater. Oh. I think that's uh, for our New England friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah. yeah. hope to see you all out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go see them. They're a great show. They really, really are a great show. And, and Matt, what was the name of your, um, that the Scottish band again? I mean, would you, do you see yourself being with them again or – End yeah, of the possibly. chapter. Possibly. Mean, we, we really hit it off. They're, they're, I mean, I want to call them a queen tribute band, but it's more of a dedicated Freddie Mercury yes. impersonator. Yes, and, yes. Uh, you know, and, and the, he won an award. Uh, he was the highest voted uh, award winning. Uh, there's a British TV show called, it's, it's similar to The Voice, mm-hmm. and he won that and became an instant celebrity. So we got this band going after that. <laughs> you got to see this guy. I mean, the, the whole show is like, wow, mm-hmm. we, wow, we, yeah. are those fans dedicated. So mm. um, also, we want to thank. Robert Fiaro. Fiaro. Well, th- Thank you. Okay. I, I really had fun being here. It's great. Tell us, though, I, I, was it what you thought or was it uh, not it, a... It was better. I've been on other shows. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> it was better. It was I don't a... know how to take that, but... Good well, time. Good company. Thank you very much for yeah. joining us. Mm-hmm. Um, Raven, it's that Thanks, time Robert. of night. Uh, time of... Sorry, Raven. We have to say goodnight. Okay. It was okay. so... I, I love the music shows, so... I like yeah. to just be able to sit back and just listen to all the stories. Yeah, we had a lot awesome. of fun. Thanks for joining us. Uh, also, Juan Juan, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Glad Wait. to be here and glad to be anywhere. That's it. With Keith Richards. <laughs> so I, I think I've uh, thanked everybody, right? Yeah. Have I? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just going to throw in the plug that we always do. Homes for Our Troops. Homes for Our Troops is, a, is an organization that builds homes for veterans of uh, post-9-11 uh, combat. That's uh, the Afghan war and also in Iraq. And these are our veterans who come back with maybe missing an arm or a leg. And what this organization does is that they build houses adapted specially for them, wider doorways, not a lot of stairs, lower counter space, stuff like that to make their lives a little bit easier. And then when they finish these houses, they rip up the mortgage, they give them the keys, they give them the house for free, and then they can go out and live a life uh, that they don't have to worry about 
a mortgage hanging over their head every every month. These people deserve it. Uh, they gave a lot for us, so we should uh, at least donate to this uh, cause. Homes for our troops. Please Google them. 80%, 88 cents on a dollar actually goes to our veterans. So please see what they're up to. Also, um, coming up very soon is going to be Raven's Scary Movie Hour. We should play the bumper right here. Lock your doors, close your windows, and turn out all the lights. Because it's time for Raven's Scary Movie Hour. Exploring the deep and dark depths of the most frightening movies ever. This show is not for the faint of heart. So consider yourself warned. Now, here's Raven. And you're looking forward to that, Raven, I'm sure. I am. Actually, guess what book I just finished reading? What? Tell Worst us. Cruelly. Oh, is that right? Cassandra <laughs> Peterson memoirs. It was, mm. it was so good. I finished mm. it today. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. We're all looking forward to that. We can't wait. Um, and also, uh, swag for the show. We'll be back sometime at the end of February. Uh, we have the bar coasters and also the buttons in the supply line. And we'll uh, start giving them away sometime in about a month or so. So I want to just thank everyone for joining us. We love music. I mean, usually we're talking about UFOs and paranormal, stuff like that, which we enjoy. But we're all really big music fans. It's great to get this um, group together to talk about music. So thanks very much. Let's all give ourselves a round of applause. If that is in self hey, we fun. abuse or something. Surrounded by celebrities. We will, yes. We will sweeten that up in post. I want to just God. thank everyone. I want to thank out there for uh, listening to us. And uh, this is back for the whole gang. Until you hear us again, be safe, be happy, and bye-bye.